What are you listening to? You don't know that the guy's just put I know that. No, this is one that I know. Tom Brady's bordering now on Godlike. You gotta put the bourbon down and go to a doctor. He's... All right, listen up, y'all. What's up, everybody? And Welcome to Bump and Run. I'm Pete Calsano here with my friend Scott Bracey. What's going on, dude? How you doing, pal? Good you, to see you. You know what? I was going to start off with something else, but now I just remembered. How was your trip? It was excellent. Thank you, you very much. It was great. You know, we didn't really... A lot of... You and I didn't talk so much about what you were going to do, just that you were going down to Orlando. So I think it was like Friday during the Masters. I'm like, any chance you're playing golf this weekend? And your response oh, yeah. was... <laughs> oh, yeah. About A lot of golf. How many times? How many rounds did you actually end up playing? So we played Friday, Saturday, Sunday rained us out. Oh, uh, unfortunately, okay. Florida weather. But uh, but it was a good birthday trip. Great, great birthday trip. Great dudes. A lot of sun. A lot of booze. I think my liver woke up having a cup of coffee on Monday morning. Oy. Um, but I feel nice and good, nice and refreshed now, ready to go. Absolutely cool. Well, uh, you know, I was a head football coach. You were one of my players, and you know, a report came out this week about the Eagles and uh, Peterson when he was, I guess it really kind of started in the beginning of his second year. And uh, (laughs) I thought I had it kind of rough and (laughs) I had kind of a cakewalk compared to what he went through. So we're going to get to that today, which I I just think it's interesting from like a a coaching job perspective, Uh, what that job looked like maybe even just two years ago compared to what it looks like now. I just find it yeah. fascinating. But I think we have to start off with wrapping up what we saw at the Masters. Um, I'm going to give you my impressions first just because uh, it's a little twisted. So first of all, for me, I don't really – I don't need there to be great play. I just – I love the event. I love the scenery just how scenic and gorgeous gorgeous it is. Sometimes I just, when they do a close-up on a player, and I'm not even looking at the player half the time, I'm, I'm saying like, look out, look at the grass. Like it's just, the place is just so pure and perfect. It almost looks fake. So you mentioned on the trip, so we rained, it rained all day Sunday, so we watched, we watched, we sat and watched probably eight hours of Masters coverage, probably maybe more than that. And we made a comment. The grass looks painted. So my cousin mentioned it's that incredible. too. I don't think it is. Maybe they do. Paint I don't think patches. it is either. But it's too. Oh, it's too um, smooth for it to be. Like you would have differences in color then, unless they just paint everything. But it's just amazing. <laughs> Between the it bridges is. and the water and the streams and Ray's Creek and the and the and the shrubbery and corner and it's just it's just magical. So it I don't is. need great play or perfect play or um, historic play to enjoy it because I just did. And, you know, right off the bat, I'll say congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama, first Japanese-born player, male to win a major, which is, you know, that's historic in and of itself. But the play as a whole over the weekend left me a little wanting. Here's all I mean by that. There was no, there was no one who had a great week. So, like, you come out on Thursday, Justin Rose had a great day, right? Yeah. Gets to seven under, which was four strokes better than anybody else. And you're like, holy shit, it's unbelievable. But then that's kind of where he stayed for the rest of the weekend. Now, but didn't, didn't he shoot even the next two days? 
Yeah, and I think he ended. Did he end up at minus eight or minus six? Like he he basically yeah. shot even par the rest of the weekend, which crazy. Yeah, wasn't great. Uh, even the winner Matsuyama, he had a great Saturday. I mean, he had an unbelievable yeah. Saturday. Got himself to eleven under. He was four strokes out in front, and still only ended up winning by one. So like he held on. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't take it. I mean, you could say he took it on Saturday, but you know that's a little anticlimactic. You well, want listen, somebody to take we'll, it. We'll, We'll get into it, but he left the door open. Oh my God! On Sunday, and and that's the other problem. He left the door open, and no one really pushed through. Jumped in. So, yeah. you know, I could look at a lot of players and say that there were some disappointments. You know, like Spieth, uh, once again, kind of shits the bed in the front nine, and then puts on an, a, a friggin' show in the back. He Incredible. got as bad. He got as high as minus three at one point, and ended up at minus eight, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah, like. At the friggin' Augusta National, you do that? Like, you can't let yourself get to minus three. Because, look, if you didn't, you would probably would have won. Like, he lost five strokes. He, he And he got him back and then, or, or, or four strokes. So, do you, do you think, do you think he's just better with the pressure off there? Like, because this is the first time this has happened with him. No, I think his problem is, I, I think he actually goes for it too much. I think he takes. I don't want. I don't know if the word is too many risks. Maybe, maybe that's the only way to look at it. So he's a very unique player historically and in these times. Since uh, so, let's talk about this for a second because I didn't really think about. I didn't think about talking about it today, but let's just talk about it. You see the game going in a direction of big long drives. Try to put the shortest possible iron in your hand so that you can you can land a a a ball as close as you can to the pin. Like, mm-hmm. DeChambeau has mentioned it multiple times. Kepka has said it before. Rory has said it before. They, they're they not... Dustin Johnson. Yeah, they're not terribly concerned. Now, Dustin Johnson's, is, Dustin Johnson's more concerned about it than those guys, but those other guys I mentioned are not terribly concerned if the ball ends up in the rough. Like, as long as they got a clean shot to the green, they'd rather be 40 yards ahead and in the rough than 40 or 30 or 40 yards shorter in the fairway. And why I say... Spieth is unique historically because even if you go back to Jack and Arnold, in their time, they were the bangers. They were the bombers. They were the guys that hit it long. They just hit it longer than everybody else, and they hit it straight enough. Spieth is unique in that he he kind of screwed himself over the last three years by trying to gain yardage on his drive at the cost yeah. of some severe, <laughs> like severe wildness. And, Accuracy, yeah. And what pro- why I say he's unique is because he's as good in his hand in he's as good in the fairway with a seven iron as some of these guys are with a nine iron. Y- you know what I mean? Even if they're in the rough, I do. like he's actually better off. With, like he's as accurate with a seven as they are with a pitch and wedge and a nine. So I think what you've seen him do, which which go which, which goes to show you, you don't need to hit it that long. Most, most of these guys, well, most of these guys do. Most of these guys do. I'm just saying what makes him unique is he, he, he probably doesn't and probably shouldn't. He should just, he should do everything he can to get in a fairway because when he's in the fairway, yeah. Jesus H. Christ, Play. there may be nobody better in history with their irons than, than he is. It's really something else. So in that sense, it, it, he's, he's just so unique. And that's where he, you know, screwed up. On front nine is that you know he got wild off the tee again and it cost him dearly, dearly, dearly. So, yeah. um, but again, you know you had to watch. 
it's kind of him and I mean, listen, you're always going to watch the leaders, obviously, but he wasn't even close to the lead, and they still had cameras on him. The Shambo wasn't sure. even um, wasn't even a consideration, so you're not watching him. But he's he's just one of those guys that you got to watch, and uh, you know he just has to play different. He should not try to play the way those other guys are playing. He should just listen. Yeah. He won a Masters, a, a, an Open Championship, and a U.S. Open. And he wasn't even close to the longest play. I don't know why he felt like he needed to switch. That. I don't. Either. I know. I it's agree like, with dude, you. Dude, you have the winning formula. You're young and winning. Play your like, game. Hello, man. like, yeah. So, um, and we'll see that he's done that more this year. He's still not great off the tee, but he's been a little better. And when he is, you know, he's yeah. also a master around the green. His touch. So, like, dude, just just hit it straight, man. Lose ten yards and hit it straight or straighter. He's fantastic. He's fantastic out oh. of the bunkers too. Like. Oh, dude! I mean, he really is a shot maker, and he, his saves are just—they're just bananas. But you can't do it all the time. We talked about this, I think, either before the Masters or the week—the week before that, the Valera Open, talking about speed and that. You can't constantly be making save shots, like sometimes because sometimes they're not going to work. Like sometimes when if yeah. you got to bend a ball thirty yards. That's not always gonna work, dude. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you get so, a gust of wind. What anything could happen when you when you try to when you try to do something crazy. Yeah. So, but he's just such an intriguing player, and he just does it differently. And uh, the other thing is, when he's putting, dude, look out! Like it's just, yeah, it's freaking scary. It's really scary. So, um, what were your thoughts in general on the Masters? So, another guy that we were talking about last week too that starts slow and builds it up quick, or goes out to a lead or falls apart, and it was kind of both cases. Friday, Saturday, he was up. He was playing constant, consistent golf, and then Sunday, he's up by the leaders, and he had a horrible front seven, front eight. Because then I think he, I think he birdied 9, 10, 11, 12, and that's Xander Shoffley, a guy that I picked as one of my sleepers last week. But yet still he was there at the end. And still he was there. He had a horrible Amazing, front right? seven or eight, and then he's oh right God. there. And he, and he and he and he's making Matsuyama's asshole pucker. Yes. And he puts one in the water on 16, and then that's all she wrote. Well, what's interesting about that shot oh. that shot on 16 is he's he's like he doesn't feel bad about it because he's like I no, he I doesn't. flushed it. That's a word. That was his the word he used. I flushed it. Like he nailed it. Like he hit exactly what he wanted to hit. You know that that course Listen. may be more than any others a couple inches here and a couple inches there that's what she said but oh, like that's well, you, it's just yeah. such a, i mean it just makes well, you all the world me. Listen, it's the right thing to say to the media you and me are competitive guys you he didn't sleep that night i don't give a shit what he, I, it might be the right club might be the right approach when you see the result yeah, the you result will happy. keep him up but it's more of disbelief because then matsuyama bogeys that hole i know Oh, if he puts one, oh, dude, just par like, it. Yeah, just par just it. Par it. That's got, why are you attacking that? Hole? Yeah, why are you attacking yeah. that hole anyway? Like, dude, that's not, a hell dude, of a pin you know placement. Approach, you know the sixteenth hole. You throw it and then you let it roll down the hill. Yes, like that, dude. Oh, yeah. It was like he was one club short. Yeah, it was like he was one club short. Absolutely. And maybe yep. he did flush it, but he flushed it with the wrong club. Yeah. So you just can't you can't do and, and the reality is the way he was playing and the way Matsuyama, frankly, was kind of his his asshole was puckering. So oh, just man. so everybody knows what I'm talking about, I call that like when pressure gets on and guys get tight. You see this at the end of NBA playoff games. You see this at the end of football play. You see it at the end of playoff games. 
guys tighten up. Like, it could be a high-scoring game in any sport. You can give me the college football playoffs. It doesn't matter. But those last, like, eight minutes, things tighten up because now you are you're you go from want-to-score mode to I-don't-want-to-screw-up mode. And when you don't want to <laughs> screw up, you end up screwing up. So Matsuyama absolutely was, like, getting a little tight. Understandably. For sure. You know, understandably. Absolutely. And if he just Nobody's mad at him for it. No. God, no. It's a freaking Masters. Yeah. And there's a pressure of a nation on the guy, too, which none of us can understand. Yeah. I I think Nance even said, he goes, no one's sleeping in Japan right now. No. And it's it's like five o'clock in the morning. It's not, you know, it's not. So, yeah, that one shot, you know. Well, that's the other thing. So, here's the other thing. Along the lines of what I was just saying about how there was no, like, Nobody stood out over the weekend. I mean, the winner's the winner, but he didn't play a great weekend or a, a great four days. It was just the shot of the weekend is a shot that goes into water. It's not like Mickelson out of the pine straw. It's not Bubba out of the pine straw. It's not yes. Spieth off the Tiger's hill. Tiger's putt. Tiger's it's, chip or yes. whatever. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's yeah. not Jack sinking sinking a putt on the 18th when at 45, 40 whatever years old. Like, it wasn't a magical shot. It was a oh, it was a no. loser shot. Like that's what yeah, you, yeah. You, you brought that up, and that's actually the one shot that stuck in my head from the whole weekend. So, because if because like you said, if he pars it and Matsuyama bogeys it, Matsuyama's going to the seventeenth, shaking. Would they point. have been tied at that point? No, he still would have been down one. But who knows? Like okay, that, yeah, now yeah, you yeah. got him thinking down one, two holes but to not, go. Listen, we still got the drama, but it could have been a lot better. And I hate when people say, "Well." Did he still par out or par bogey? Like, dude, the whole doesn't matter. The whole yeah. puckered asshole theory means at correct. If he's only up one with two to go, nothing that happened is the same because mentally you're yes. not the same. It's a totally different ball game. So and maybe and maybe Matsuyama plays worse in, worse in that situation. And maybe Shoffley plays better. Who knows? We don't and, know. And it could have been the reverse. It could have been that Matsuyama locks in because dude, he's a great yeah. player. I mean, let's not pretend that oh, he's he like a poor player. He's a great he's been, player. He's been close for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he hasn't won in a few years, so nobody would have predicted him winning. But you know, the guy could have stepped up and ended up winning by two strokes because he gets locked in. Like I'm not losing this thing. I'm not trying to say he would have lost, but do not pretend that everything would have been the same because it wouldn't. Like there's no just way. no way it would have. So I agree. Um, it was entertaining. Oh, wanna, no, go ahead, please. Yeah. Well, one more thing I want to touch on too, like how, like we always talk, how it's such a tremendous tournament and such oh. a traditional thing, and having a first Japanese man win it. Watching his caddy go to the 18th, uh, the flag, Ooh, I just got and, and and bow. I just got it, chills. It's very, it's just very cool because, like, I think it means a lot more there than it does in like a tournament in Texas. Uh, just oh my, my opinion, god. But, I think. I think, uh, you know, American players, European players don't bow, but I think I've seen players before kind of look back down the 18th fairway as if they're looking at the course like, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, so, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yep. Because when you win the Masters, you know, you go down in history. It's not just the major. You know, I can't tell you, you know, who won the last four U.S. Opens, British Opens or British yeah, Opens yeah. or certainly not the PGA Championships. But, man, we all know who wins the Masters, boy. It's well such an, exactly. that jacket. It's such an exclusive club. I can't wait to see what Matsuyama serves at the at the Champions Dinner next year. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get, you know, 
I'm not going to get yeah, any don't go national, yeah, I don't, I don't need the uh, woke police on my ass for saying like, you know, <laughs> something I'm not, but I, I just, everything about it is just so special. And frankly, I will say this, you know, within the last few months, there's kind of been this hashtag going around. Um, I think it's stop Asian hate started with Jeremy Lin yes. and some of these guys, man, how about the timing on that? Like Japanese, yeah, man, good point. Japanese man wins yeah. masters. Like that's pretty good timing for that to happen in the, in this day and age. So, and he did it, he did it without saying a word. He didn't need to voice anything. He just said, check this out and pretty cool stuff, yeah, man. Just pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Hey, we've been asking you guys, uh, to give us a call, leave a me- leave a voice message if you use the Anchor app. Again, you can listen on Google Podcast, Outcast, um, Anchor, Spotify, any of those. But if you listen on the Anchor app, then you can leave us a voice message. And Stephen Chester le- left a f- left. <laughs> Boy, that bourbon is hey, good. Take a, take a like, sip. It's kicking in already. This is fantastic. <laughs> Um, Stephen Chester left us a message and I finally figured out how to get it to play. So here's Steve. Hey guys, this is Steve from Chester, New Jersey. Long time listener, first time caller, really enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. I feel like I learn something new every week. Uh, I'm a big Steeler fan. Got a comment. Um, how do you guys feel about the Juju Smith Schuster signing? Do you think they could have used that money elsewhere? I mean, that team really knows how to find no-name receivers that get the job done. Plus, I think Claypool has a chance of being number one, where I kind of feel that uh, Juju is really a 1A or a B receiver. What are your thoughts, guys? Thanks a lot. I'll hang up and listen. So I think this is a great call and an interesting point. I agree. I think Claypool, Claypool is their number one at this point. And all I can say is you got Juju for eight mil. Like you got him on the cheap. You got him at a, at a number two receivers price. So man, for the price shit, if the jets could have got him for eight, like I think me and you and I spoke after they signed Juju and said there were no better offers. And we did come to find out that there were from some other teams, but he actually would prefer to stay with the Steelers for less than to go somewhere else for more. Um, that says that says something to me. If I'm a Steelers fan, I look at that and I'm like, that's friggin' awesome. Let's also remember he had 90 something catches last year. Now he didn't have all the yards that he's had in the past, but he had 90 something catches and I think six or eight touchdowns. Like, so this, we're not talking about, you know, Kenny Galladay got 18, 19 million a year. Like some of these guys got big bucks. Um, the guy the Jets signed. Man, Corey Davis, I was yeah, just going to ask Davis you about had him. 65 yeah. catch. I like the signing of Corey Davis because I don't think he was that expensive either at 12 and a half a year. He's making more than eight. It was a point yeah. of call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. I mean, come on. This is so, like eight million for Juju to <clears throat> stay on that team with Ben one more year to take one more shot. Oh, my God. To me, it's a no-brainer. It's a freaking no-brainer because it's cheap. So, Steve, great, uh, great call. Thanks for listening. And um, – a couple things to add to that. I think you're right with Juju Smith-Schuster being a number two. Uh, you guys also find these receivers every two or three years in fourth or fifth round. Manny Sanders, yeah. Antonio Brown, uh, Mike Wallace before that. I, uh, even Claypool was a second round yeah, pick. James Washington, and if, and like, you, yeah, James Washington. James Washington. And if Claypool is your number one, then at $8 million for Juju at number two, like you said, with Ben, with Deion Johnson or Deontay Johnson at number three, 
that's it's a good good yeah, signing you're not, for you're for not this paying year anybody. You're not paying no. any of your receivers. No. You have no um, how do we say like expensive receivers. Like you're not paying a number one receiver number one money. And as far as Juju being a number two, on some teams he would be a number one, but I actually think he's better suited as a number two. But 100% the, he's better suited as a number two. But Definitely. for Christ's sake, he's the best number two in the sport. Um, I would argue with you on that. Give me somebody. Uh, Calvin Ridley with the Falcons. Is he? A, oh, boy. I'd have to look at the numbers. Off the top of my, off the top of my head, I would probably say no, but no by like, Inches, not miles. Like an, like, like an ass hair? Yeah, it's close. That's a great example. Frankly, good job by you, you son of a bitch. Thank you. Yeah, I'd have to think about it because he's really good. <laughs> and, and the reality is, well, what's funny about you saying that is, you know, if Julio Jones isn't there, he is a number one. Calvin Ridley yes, is a yes. number one. So yes. um, he's a but number two. The, only, that, <laughs> he's a number two only because he's behind Julio Jones. But that's my point. I I think I think he could be a number one, but I don't know if Juju is a number one. On the I don't think Juju. Yeah, no, I don't think Juju no, when, is either. When Antonio Brown wasn't there and Ben got hurt, Juju was not he, not heard from. Well, he wasn't as as effective. He's he's most effective as a number two. So, yeah, correct. So I yeah. So if you were to if you put him on another team as a number one, you put Ridley on a number team as a number one. I think Ridley probably produces more, but as a number two, it, it's just weird. Like this, I think he's it actually better it number is. two than Ridley is a number two. We're probably going to find out soon enough because Ridley will be in Atlanta and Jones won't be for long. Yeah, that's just true. Can't, can't pay that money. But um, yeah, great call, Steve. We appreciate that. We appreciate you listening, guys. Keep the calls coming, man. We'll get you on here. I finally figured out <laughs> how to get how to get the. How to get the call on here, so that helps. Um, along with that, NFL, before we get to our draft talk, just happened. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. Was it yesterday? Jadavian Clowney yesterday. signs with Cleveland. Yep. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one. So, I think what they're giving him, $10 million? One year, well, $10 million? Well, that's $10 million and I, I'm... Is it incentive-based or whatever? probably monster incentive-laden. Like, he probably has to be defensive player of the year, have 17 starts. Like, it's probably more of a 4 or $5 million salary, I'm guessing, totally. But So so for that, I think it's a win-win for the Browns. I think we talked when J.J. Watt went to the Cardinals or when J.J. Watt was a free agent going somewhere else. We need him to be just one of the guys and not the man. Yeah. And I think that's where Clowney is now. I think Clowney has to be one of the guys, and you put him with one of the best defensive ends in the in the, in the league, with Miles um, Garrett. So the Browns have a pretty good team. I know you're not as high on as I am. Um, I'm on, I'm high on a pass. team. I'm high on a team. I'm not high on Baker team. Mayfield. Okay, so you put him on the other side of Miles Garrett. They got a pretty good defensive line. They got a pretty good secondary. They do play in a tough division, but. Listen, five six million dollars. What the hell do you got to lose? You got the money to spend. Now maybe you go. Maybe your draft's different. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't know that, what their plan was. That may be the case. I, I, I don't know. But listen, if you're not paying them a lot of money, listen. There's not much f- fanfare on it anymore because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jadavian Clowney is the same guy, and maybe he never was the expectation guy. I was just going to say, I personally don't think he ever was. I, yeah, I think he's. A bust might be strong because he is still a viable player in the league, but not not even in the stratosphere of a number one pick and not no, of what no, no, he was no. supposed to be and was hoped to be. To me, this is, this is a nothing. This is a waste of money to me. 
Uh, you do? Okay. I think it's a total waste of money. I don't think they're any better. And he can sit there and say, you know, because in his interview at the signing, he was like, I'd be nice to get single single teamed for once. Well, he got single yeah. cover. He got single teamed when he was with Houston, you know, with J.J. Watt there. And the most sacks he ever had was nine. And that's going back three, four years. Never had double yeah, digit sacks. Younger. And I'm going to throw some numbers out at you just to, you know, paint a better picture here. Um, in the last three seasons, he's played, if you go back and work your way forward, 14, 11, and eight games. So three years ago, he played 14. He's only played 16 mm-hmm. games once. He's only played a full season once. Four, wow. 14, 11 with Seattle and eight last year with Tennessee. How about sacks? He had nine three years ago. Hey, nine's nothing to sneeze at. That's a decent season, no. right? It ain't great. It's not elite, but it's it's nothing to but sneeze at. He was also at. in his 20s probably at that point too, right? I think he's still actually in his 20s, but upper, really? upper 20s. Holy he's crap. only been in the league for seven years. But he had nine three years ago. And you're like, okay, not bad. Two years ago, he had three with Seattle. Last year, zilch. Last year, dude, he had 16 solo tackles. 16. Wow. Like you got... You got linebackers who have over a hundred tackles. Now it's a different position. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, sixteen tackles. I think he had nine assists, so he was part of twenty-five tackles last year in eight games. You were a piece of twenty-five tackles. Now it makes a lot of sense why the Titans weren't very good on defense. Well, to your point, I'll I'll give him this. Like you just said, you know, you got um, who, who's the defensive end? Miles Garrett. You got Garrett on the other side, so that's certainly going to help. I would expect his production to go up a little bit. A little bit, for sure. Yeah. But what's he going to give you? Like, because I just look at zero sacks. Zero sacks. You got defensive tackles whose only job is to clog the defensive line. Like, they stumble into a sack here and there. Like, most every defensive lineman has one sack. Like, you didn't even get a sack. More than 16 tackles. Yeah, you didn't didn't get a sack by accident. Like a, guy, like a guy just tripped and you touched it. Like you didn't get a single sack. You're a defensive end. You're Jadavian Clowney, number one pick in a draft seven years ago. You didn't. You don't got a single sack? Like, I just think this is nothing. And, and so I'll put it to you this way, too. I think you're signing a name. Because if I read you his stat line and I just said. Oh, I would, I would, agree. I would I, agree with that. I said, Tom, Tom Jones, with these stats, would you have signed him? Right, like no. you're not signing them. No. You know, you just you wouldn't be doing that. So, I'd be I gotta be honest. With you, I'd be hard pressed to sign him for a million bucks because I just don't see the value. And he doesn't play. He doesn't. He's always hurt. The Browns are about signing the name. Um, I think you put him with it. Uh, I mean, he had no one on the other side of him with the Titans last year. And if he gives you for anything, sure. and I think motivation is going to be a big thing. You would have thought that last year this, too, though. Now he's on a one-year well, contract last year on a playoff team. Well, Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't. True. I gotta be honest. I don't think he's unmotivated. He. I actually think he has a decent motor because even when he's not getting sacks, he plays the run relatively well. Um, I just. I just think he gets. I think he's one of those guys that either gets banged up easy or doesn't have a high pain tolerance or whatever. Whatever the deal is, um, he's not available. He's just unavailable, and when he's banged up, he's extra unavailable. And I just, I don't know. Just doesn't do it for me, man. I, I well, just, you know, there's it, a reason it, it, nobody you know, else be, signed him up to this point. And so, you know, you know, they might be thinking whatever they give him is is gravy, uh, icing on the cake, whatever the old saying is. I mean, yeah. that's that's really what it is, honestly. Yeah. And because you have, if he a, goes down, they're not going to miss him. No, you know, no. you know, it's just like so. And it probably, well, you know, I'm saying five million. That might be that's 
that probably is even high. It's probably his base salary is probably around two million. Three. Yeah, two, three yeah. million, and then it's all incentive laden, how many games, how many sacks, all that kind of stuff. So Pro Bowl or all pro, whatever the hell it is, I'm, you add I'm, it up. Yeah, Playoff absolutely. appearance. Which yeah. which most yeah. of that stuff is not gonna get reached. So I mean I get it. And 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 having a quarterback on a rookie salary, we've talked about this. There's a recipe for winning Super Bowls. And it's a veteran quarterback who's taken a team-friendly salary, a la Tom Brady, Drew Brees, or Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract, or a guy, a guy yeah, who's still on one. his rookie yep. contract. Like, and and yep. Baker's still on his rookie contract, so you can have two quality tight ends. You can have a, you could throw a couple million bucks at Jadavian Clowney and the not diva worry. wide receiver, the two running backs. Yeah, yeah you got all that. Yeah. So, so um, it, for that part of it, like whatever. I'm not saying it's stupid. I just don't think it's anything. I don't think it's much of anything. And, gotcha. and to your point, if you get anything, it's bonus. That's it. You know, but I just think, I, you know, if, I, if we're going to talk the Browns, man, they got some real holes in the secondary. Like they got real serious holes in the secondary in a passing league. Um, you know, I don't know. I hear this. I hear people talking like they're the favorites to win their division. I'm like. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I just can we slow down? You know, the Steelers. Whatever happened at the end of the season, they did start eleven and zero. You know, there, there is still a team called Baltimore Ravens who has a league MVP as their quarterback, and they yep. are really good in the draft, and they're really good with you know playing defense. Like, could we just slow down just a little bit? Like, I'm just not there on the Browns like every like a lot of other people are, and we'll we'll see. Now maybe they can get something for OBJ, and maybe they can make some more moves. I will give their front office some credit. The, the moves that they've been making have been working. Um, since getting rid of Fred, Freddie Kitchens, Kitchens, you bring in Stefanski. They've been moving in a better direction. Make no mistake. Uh, but I, I, I still, I've been saying this now for a number of weeks. I'm gonna say it again. If they go, what would the record be? Eight and nine, nine and eight. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to do that gym teacher math. You know, God forbid it's like seven and ten. You're gonna sign Baker Mayfield to a friggin' thirty-five, forty million dollar contract. Like, <laughs> don't know. I don't know. Hey, don't forget we put our BNR clips out on YouTube. Big B, little N, big R clips on YouTube, and you'll see some of the highlights from the show. Video highlights because you got two stunningly handsome men here, and uh, I think it's worth checking out. And don't forget, you can also leave a comment on there, and if you leave a comment there, we might use that in the show. For example, another way to contact us is through Instagram. Our Instagram is... What the hell is our Instagram? Oh, bump and run cast, bump and run cast on Instagram. And you can direct message us like Chris in Galloway did. And Chris's point was about college hoops because we were talking about the final four last week, Scott. And his point was about how there's been a shift in power. Um, I just didn't look at it this way until he kind of encapsulated this. But how there's been this shift in power west of the Mississippi. He was specifying west of the Mississippi. Whereas now it's kind of Gonzaga, Baylor, Oregon are your really kind of power brokers west of the Mississippi. And we have teams like um, Arizona, Kansas. Now, I expect Kansas to be back, but Arizona, UCLA, while they played well in the tournament this year, 
they've been absent yeah, they've from been the, a lot of down years they've yes. been absent from yes. the scene like the major scene for quite some time Kansas State was a was a really viable team for a long time and they're just kind of Arizona State's another one Washington Texas how about this one Stanford like Stanford always yeah. had like those cerebral you know almost like um Ivy sure. League Princeton, of the West Coast yeah. kind of thing yeah. going on and they're nowhere to be heard Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, those teams yes. are always pretty good. I mean, yeah. So he makes such a great point, uh, Chris. Thanks for thanks for direct messaging us with that. What do you think about it? You think this is kind of how it is now with Gonzaga, Baylor, and Oregon, or or is this kind of a uh, temporary listen, thing? Is he right, Gonzaga's or is it just kind of how it is now? I mean, he might be right. You know, a little bit. I think Gonzaga's been around for a long time. Arizona's, um, excuse me, Oregon now has been making a Sweet 16 uh, eight run for a couple years now. Baylor's been around uh, winning programs been, for four or five those, years those, now. So, and those coaches aren't going anywhere. Probably not because those got, schools all have cash. They got the cash so, to so keep their guy. He, he's kind of right. I think I think Cronin's going to have UCLA better in, in, the, in the future, consistently better. I wouldn't say they're going to be in the Final Four every year like right. they used to be, but they're going to be better. They're going to be a tournament team every year. I'll, I'll guarantee right, that. Right. Um, I think he makes a I great point Ken- that those three Ken- teams be back. might be the 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 alpha Upper of their echelon? conferences. Yeah, I would agree it, with him. It doesn't mean Kansas sure. won't yeah. be in there. Texas won't be in there with a new head coach. Like you know, Houston, mean those, Houston was there. Yeah, Houston's been good. So yeah, you made such a great point last week about in. how you know of all the Texas teams that have had powerful basketball programs in the past this year we had <laughs> baylor and houston and in, in, in like hello like wow like yeah. there really has been a bit of a shift and even houston while i don't think they're going to be an elite program they've been a solid program for oh yeah six seven eight years now i i, I, I might be a little off on the years but that's probably close six it's not years, just a couple yeah. it's not just a couple i'm not saying they've been a final yeah. four team i just mean they've been a strong program Calvin Sampson's been around. He's a good coach. Yes. You know, yeah. they play in a weaker league. What do they play in? The American Athletic? Whatever that is. So yeah. that helps them out, I think. Yeah. So so listen, that's a great call. Great or great message by Chris. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So you could DM, you could direct message us on Instagram, bump and run cast on Instagram. Plus, you know, you'll get insta clips on there. You'll get our, our daily updates and what's going on, especially when there's breaking news. We're on top of it, man. Hey, um, I don't know if this is sad news. I think it's kind of just news. We had a retirement this week. Kind of came out of nowhere. Julian Edelman did not pass his physical with the New England Patriots and then decided, I'm going to call it a day. And what was it? What did he tweet? Um, Foxborough Forever? Yeah, I think so. And then to this morning, he's selling Foxborough Forever t-shirts. So he continues to draw in the cash. On his side hustle, but Julian Edelman retires, and I have to start off with this question: Is he or is he not a Hall of Famer? No. Yeah. He's not in my eyes. I uh, he never made a Pro Bowl. Listen, Isn't it's okay to be a good. It's okay to be a good player in the league and not be in the Hall of Fame. What the hell happened to that? Like, it's okay to be a solid NFL player coming from Kent State. You play with the greatest quarterback of all time. Oh, by the way, he was a quarterback in college. Yes, he was a quarterback. <laughs> so what he did, turn, turn, having a job in the NFL, being a special teamer for 13 years would have been something. The guy had a great career. He's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I – so he's another one that's just so unique. Um, he's self-made player, college quarterback at a small school even, not even like, you know, big school. Kent State, right? It was either Kent or Central Michigan. I don't know. It was one of those like – Yeah. 
Ohio Valley, whatever. <laughs> Matt. Um, he was a seventh round pick, so he fits perfectly with Tom Brady. So you're right. As a regular season player, he was good. Like he was good. He was kind of a security blanket. Wasn't a yards gobbler. He was a first down maker, but he wasn't like a yards gobbler. He's kind of Wes Welker 2.0. I was gonna say he took what Wes Welker did and did it better, which is pretty unbelievable because yeah. Wes Welker yeah. was pretty goddamn good at what he did. But this is where the argument starts to get interesting, dude. He was a friggin' playoff monster, like a playoff monster. So you just look historically. Now, part of this is because they were always in the goddamn playoffs and always in the friggin' Super Bowl. So, <laughs> but but yeah, the stats pile up by itself. Yeah, but 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 hear this out. Hear me out for a second. Second all time in postseason receptions. And you're like, well, that's just a um, a a part of being with. Tom Brady and, and Patriots. Yeah, but he's behind only Jerry Rice, who you can say was a part of being with the San Francisco 49ers, and they had a shitload of runs to get to the playoffs too. So, I mean, obviously you have to have been in the playoffs a lot and won a lot of games yeah, to, to get a lot of re- receptions. It's a like second all-time in post-time, postseason receptions, and some of them were big-ass catches. Maybe one none any bigger than the one against Atlanta when they were down 28-3. You know, I don't know what part of the game it was, but that and the ball balls that got, in the air, and he just, and it, yeah, yeah, he just yeah. So this is that's what makes it a struggle for me. Like I'm with you. Like my initial reaction is no, he's not a Hall of Famer. Like I just don't, I just don't think of him as Hall of Famer. Like Hall of Great, Hall of Really Good, not Hall of Postseason Great, but not yeah. Hall like of if fame. there was, if they had oh, a yeah. separate wing for guys who just showed up in the playoffs and were animals. Right, right. You know, it would be him and Eli Manning because I, I put him kind of in the same yeah. context as an Eli Manning. Like, to me, you know, Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer because his, he's just had an average at best career outside of the playoffs because he had two mm-hmm. monster playoff runs. So I would put those two in their own special wing of, like, guys who just killed it in the playoffs. Maybe there's others. I'd have to think I about think that. If I'm not, I think if I'm not mistaken, Eli's a 500 quarterback, right? Yes. This season? Yes, and he might yeah. have dipped below 500, but it's right around there regardless. And that ain't good. Man. That's no. not good. You know, that's not Hall of Fame. Although, right. he's gonna, he's <laughs> although, going. although I brought it up a couple weeks ago that um, jo- Joe Namath, I think, actually has a sub-500 record, which is, shh, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> But Edelman is interesting. You know, Wes Welker ends up leaving New England and going to your boys, going to Denver. Yep. Um, had a couple decent years, right? Yeah, two or three, I think. But I think three that max. I think that position, you just take a, you take a beating. I mean, you're constantly catching the ball over the middle. You know. Yeah, you're, you're getting pummeled. You're getting hit by a linebacker oh, or a DN that's trailing you, or or a safety <laughs> coming. Yeah, you're getting hit, man. You talk about hit. two two little guys, smaller dudes. They were both stocky, but there was two smaller dudes just getting mashed by linebackers yeah. and i can't imagine why he didn't pass his physical for the patriots like you know <laughs> this is a guy who's like an not an offensive lineman who like can't pass a physical like it doesn't take much to pass a physical to, to play in the nfl he's he's gotten doofed up so but 12 years with new england only with new england you know hall of famer or not hall of famer he should absolutely um be celebrated because it was a great career. You know, I was thinking yeah. about this earlier when we were just talking and um, um, 
we were talking about like you know when we were talking about uh zach wilson and what his floor is and i and his ceiling how i said he had a lower floor and a higher ceiling than <clears throat> trevor lawrence and his floor being a career backup and it's like oh well then you suck and it's like man there's not a guy listening to this podcast right now that wouldn't murder somebody to be a career to have a 15-year career as a backup in the nfl like that's a real job dude that's a real yes, job sir. there's a reason they keep hiring chase daniels there's a reason that Chase Daniels cannot be a starter, but keeps getting hired as a backup. That's a real job. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to like make this like a, like a rant for backups, but stop poo-pooing that. Like, that's a real job. It's an important sure. job. And sometimes, you know, listen, if you lose your quarterback for the season, your season's over. I don't care who your backup is most of the time. But if you lose your quarterback for three or four games, and you got a guy that can just go 500 over the next four games. Make no mistake, man. That's a valuable player. Oh, how about a guy? What's it, Josh McCown? Yeah, fourteen the Eagles, teams. The Eagles gave this guy a contract, and he was coaching high school football just to be on the payroll, just to be ready to go if something happened. And him, so, yeah, him and Chase Daniels are perfect examples of it's not with a backup quarterback. It's not always about um, the play on the field, although that's part of it. It's how are you in the locker room. Are you supporting the starter? Are you helping the starter? Are you, um, you know, a good voice? Are you almost like a second coach in that room? Right. You know, different right. from this position coach, different from the coordinator, different from the head coach. You know, do you know when to put your arm around the starter and when to, you know, when to kind of kick him in the ass? There's yep. so much yep. more. Listen, it's a different job than starter, and it shouldn't be, um, it shouldn't be denigrated as like well you suck you so you because you couldn't start it's like well, you know how many how many people you know were backup quarterbacks in the nfl and i only bring that up because we shouldn't you know we're talking about edelman not being a star uh, not being a hall of famer okay fine but th that doesn't mean we shouldn't put that down it's an amazing career like it's a freaking yeah. amazing career like sure. that you got to hit your wagon to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for 12 years, win multiple Super Bowls, like and, and put up monster numbers and be a critical cog in that machine for a long time. We're gonna, you know, you got people like, oh, he just he's not good enough. It's like, okay, maybe he's not Hall of Famer, but could we slow down on like you know, the putting him down stuff? It just seems yeah. it seems a bit it's so nihilistic. It's, it's like much. it's either a Hall of Fame or you're a piece of shit. It's like, well, there is plenty of room in between. There's plenty of room in between. So right, right. anyway. All right. So we're going to continue with our weekly look into the draft and a couple positions we're going to check out today, which, you know, <laughs> we're going to look at defensive linemen predominantly. I'm assuming. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what you picked, but we are going to look at defensive linemen and linebackers. Now, I'm thinking and what I have here are some, you know, pass rushers, I guess you say, because it's kind of what people would know. I don't know. How many people know interior defensive linemen who are run stuffers that, you know, occupy a center and a guard on every play? But not that they're not important. Believe me, they are. Um, but uh, this is – it's fascinating because, you know, offense is sexy. You know, we all want, to, we all want like our first three draft picks to be like – uh, left guard, quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end. Like you know, like, and then you know maybe we'll pick up a freaking corner or something down the road. But like the reality is, if you look historically 
And frankly, this goes for most sports. Um, very rarely will you find, almost never, I mean, and you'd have to, you'd be hard pressed to find it in the NBA or the NFL, frankly. You're not going to find teams that win championships that have a defense that's in the bottom half. And let's put it this way you'll never find championship teams, never, in the bot that are defensively in the bottom half of the league. Uh, what I'll say is rarely will you find one that's in, that's, um, worse than like 12th or 13th, like top 10. Yeah. Like it's just hard to win championships. That's why we've talked about Lamar Jackson and can they, can they? Yeah. Will they, I wouldn't bet on it because to win a championship, you have to be so complete. And then on top of being so complete, you have to be special somewhere. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and, and, a little, and a little lucky on top of that. And, There's a big <laughs> and some luck. So, um, I say that stuff because we love <clears throat> offense and we talk quarterbacks and shit. I'll, I'll probably bring up quarterbacks. And I actually do bring up – I want to bring up two quarterbacks that are in this draft later because I feel like I, I breezed over something and then I looked into something. But defense is vital, dude. It's friggin' vital. Good defense is actually better for your offense because they're going to put you in better field position – um, they're going to give you more opportunities to be on offense, Absolutely. which means you'll have more offensive plays. You'll have more yards. Uh, offensive players will make more money when you have better defense, better defense, because that means you'll get more touches. Like it's better for the offense. Think of the think of the New Orleans Saints. You know they've had years. They've they're always good on offense, but the years that they were contenders is when they had good defenses and top ten defenses. So while this is not necessarily what people will always talk about at the water cooler or at the bar. It's friggin' vital, okay? It's absolutely vital that you draft defense um, and draft defense well. So I'm going to bring up a guy here. You know, there's the obvious guys, and I don't know who you picked. I like look, I like trying to find diamonds in the rough, like maybe second round and beyond, guys that people might not have heard of. And I looked into this guy, and I'm like, wow, this is one of those. I'm not making predictions on rounds. I'm not making predictions on how good the person will be. I'm just telling you that I've heard a couple scouts talk about this guy, Jalen Phillips from Miami U. Uh, kind of a defensive end, outside linebacker, rush end. Now, I can't imagine he's going to go in the first round because he has a, like a serious history of concussions. To the, to the point of where I think he actually st stopped playing football for a little while. Like, I think he took a year off and then came back because I don't, I don't know if he was sure he could actually continue playing because his, th these concussions were causing such a problem. But. He had, was it a, was it a, was it a concussion thing or a migraine thing? Well, what I've read was a history of concussions. Now, maybe migraines plays a part in that. I don't know. Yeah, just because go guy, back after that, that's a scary here's thing. Here's why he's interesting. 36 pressures in seven starts in seven games. 36 pressures. Like, whoa. That's a friggin' stupid number. That's you know, a 16-game NFL season. That's right five there. per game. That's five times you're getting laying a glove in some way, shape, or form on a quarterback. That's... Friggin' crazy, okay? And just to, like, put some context into who this guy was expected to be, he was a five-star recruit. Like, he was expected to be an elite, elite player going to the U. Um, I don't know if there's a way to get your concussion shit in order. I don't know if it works like that. It may just be one of those things, like, once you get concussions, this is just, this is how it is now. You're more sensitive to it. 
But if this is something, if somebody takes a flyer on this guy, second, third round, fourth round, I really don't know where he's going to go. But he's actually ranked higher than, I think the guy's name is Rousseau. Um, yeah. out of Miami. Yeah. He actually has a higher yeah. PFF grade than him, which is crazy because I got a feeling that that guy's going to be a first-round pick. Wow. So athletically, skill, talent, ability, projection. Jalen Phillips actually has better projection possibilities except for this. And this is a big if, dude. It's a friggin' It's a, it's a big if. It's a monster it's a truck if, if Yeah. yeah. Um, with this concussion history. But, man, take a look. Just. Put, that's one of those that I'm just telling you guys, you're listening, like, put that name, like, just throw it on a piece of scrap paper, see where he goes, and then just kind of <clears> keep <throat> it in your wallet or something like that and see what happens three years from now. Maybe it's nothing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not calling this to be, like, you know, historical all-pro player or something, but just eh, kind of throw that one in the corner somewhere. File it away. And, yeah, file that one away. So Jalen Phillips out of Miami, insane rush end, outside linebacker, like, pressure guy, quarterback pressure guy. So, you know, I got to hit this guy. He's my guy. Uh, that's why I left Quiddy him for you. Pay. Yeah. Quiddy Pay of Michigan. 6'2", 260. Ran a 4'5", 40. Yikes. At 260. Dude. Great story. Uh, he's from, I don't know what town he's from, out in Africa. His parents yes. are from down there. His, his dad tragically passed away a long time ago. His mom and his brother. Mom raised him. Uh, obviously, watching every game he's played, mm. great player. Great player, however... The negative on him is when the other defensive end on the other side went down, his numbers collapsed a little bit. Might need some help. So that's scary. So, but again, if you if you project him to go from like 17 to 28 where they got him going, you're gonna put him on a good team. You're probably gonna put him with another good pass rusher. So if you do that, he's gonna play right away and he's gonna he's gonna produce for you. I so I saw this on a I saw him on a list of guys that I would say I would I guess you would call like Joe Douglas would keep an eye on. So Joe Douglas, if you look at who he's picked up for the Jets and you kind of listen to the guy talk, he kind of tells you what he likes. And he likes high character guys. Quiddy Pay is a high character guy. Like he's just for sure. he's a high character guy. Donates his time, uh, gives back to the community, leader on his team, no nonsense, no bullshit, like no nope. no side gigs, nope. no side chicks. No rah, like, rah, rah, rah. It's yeah, just he's yeah. just a, a really good, solid dude, member of the community, member of the team. Uh, I'm not saying the Jets will take him, but he's the kind of guy Joe Douglas is looking for because he's a high character guy. You know, you can have one or two guys on your team that are little wild ass hairs. You don't want too many of them. You want more guys like right. Pay on your team, um, even if the production isn't there as high as it could be. You're, he's not going to let you down. Especially you know? when you're starting something like you guys are now. Yeah. You're, starting, you're starting a brand new, fresh thing. Yeah. A guy like that on defense is, is a good yeah. way to start. I now, agree. that's not one of their needs. I'm just talking about the kid. He's a high-character sure. guy. And any team, uh, man, if you if you get that guy on your team, I don't care you know who you're a fan of. If, if Pay ends up on your team, you're going to have a hard time not liking him. Like You're just going to have a yep. hard time not liking him. He's just a good dude. He's just a solid dude. He's... He's he's Frank Clark like without the horse shit. Yeah, and who likes horse shit? Not not me. <laughs> it doesn't have the best <laughs> aroma either. So, and frankly, it's the same smell whether it's a bad player or the actual oh, shit yeah. that comes out of a horse. All right, <laughs> this guy. You got another um, one for me. I got another one for you. Another one, kind of off the grid. Not, won't be a first rounder. Ronnie Perkins 
out of uh, Oklahoma. Why is this guy interesting? Well, he's not um, like the stat monster that you'll see. He's not even the physical specimen like I mentioned with Jalen Phillips. Like Jalen Phillips is just freakish. Uh, Ronnie Perkins got a 90 plus. Now, I use this PFF thing, Pro Football Focus, because this is what's used. This is what a lot of guys use now to, you know, to measure for us, for regular people. I'm not talking about pro scouts. They do their own thing. But for us... If you want to get an idea of what kind of player is around, use Pro Football Focus. And I'm telling you, this guy had a 90-plus rating as a run stopper and a pass defender, like as a pa- as a pass rusher. This wow. shit is rare. Like, that doesn't happen at rush ends, outside linebackers, you know, edge rushers, we'll call. Um, we used J- Jadavian Clowney, and we talked about him earlier. He was supposed to be a big time pass rusher coming out of college. And the funny thing is what he was better at in the pro was run stopper. Like earlier in his career, he had high PFF grades as a run stopper and shit grade as a pass rusher. Cause he just crazy wasn't right. This guy's got a 90 plus both run and pass. And I'm just looking, I'm saying if you're looking for, you know, a number one who is going to really like has that high motor and is going to, this is not your guy. But if you have a guy who's pretty good, Man, this is a great yeah. this is a great pick to have as a number two. Great Robin. Again, yeah, later for sure. in the round. And you can he's a he's a three down player because he's just as good against the run as he is against the pass. So that's Ronnie Perkins, Oklahoma U, the Sooners. That's my second guy. So I got a guy kind of like that, where he's a but he's an he's a defensive lineman, he's an interior lineman. He is Six foot five, three ten. Mm. Christian Barmore from Alabama. Okay, God, those Alabama so, just produces interior D linemen that are yeah. And the last the last six seven years, they've been they've been yeah coming out like hotcakes. This guy's a moose, and he had a phenomenal college football playoff season this year. Likeable kid, kind of like your guy in the Jets with Williams. Yes, Quinn Williams. Quinn Williams personality very likable. Um, can stuff the run, can get after the pass. Now, again, you're going on the greatest college team year after year after year. <laughs> you're surrounded by studs, so you're going to have guys rush the passer. If they don't, the, the defensive tackles will. Like, they are so balanced. They could do everything. I mean, the guy could probably cover a tight end if you want him to. That's how great these guys are down there. Yeah. But very good, very good run stopper. So, like you said, if you have another guy, if you have those defensive ends or if you have one of those defensive tackles that's a little more athletic, you put you plant this guy next to him and, and eat up two guys. Let the linebackers run free. That's your guy. Yeah, yeah. I like talking about guys like that because you know, everyone who's listening, they probably have at least some semblance, some idea of first round potential picks. And to me, the real fun of the draft are your second, third, fourth, fifth round steals, like guys who drop my- or finding a diamond yeah. in the rough, like maybe a guy who changed positions, which is I believe somebody that I got on my list here who, you know, was raw at a position, showed potential, showed skill, but, you know, only played that position for a year or two. And I, I just love guys like that because that's where the draft, the, the real fun is. I was listening to, it was Colin Coward, and he said, the draft is such a guy thing because guys like building stuff. Like guys <laughs> tend to be like builders, right? And what are you doing in the draft? You're building your team yeah. from clay and mortar and brick and, and, and you're, you know, you're not sure, like, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? And finding a guy like that, you know, a defensive lineman who may not be well known and then just balls out that, you know, 
nobody ended up hearing it. Like, I just, I just dig that. And again, and that's where the fun is, you know? I agree. And it's one of those things, too. Like, if you draft him in the third round, you're not paying him much. You got him four years. You build yeah. around him, and then you sign him again, and you're still not – unless he's Aaron Donald. Right. You're still not going to give him a huge contract. So, like, it's the guy could be on your team eight, nine years, and he could be a solid piece. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I, I like that one. I like that one. It's a good call by you there. All right, so I'm going to go to linebackers here. And um, a linebacker that I found that, again, this is one of those – I wrote. what did I write down? Not as sexy. Like you have your Micah Parsons. I don't know if you're going to talk about him. Or, you know, you have some of these guys uh, away, I think, is another guy. Like you have players that are clearly – play. This guy's name is Nick Bolton. Um, I want to say he went to Missouri. I might be wrong on that, So, but I, I'm pretty sure he went. Any relation, any relation to Michael Bolton? I don't think so. He's not as nearly as good a singer either. Uh, although 80s music is the best. Nick Bolton is a Missouri guy. And Missouri. you're right. You're goddamn right. Is, is, yep. <laughs> I'm not as sexy, but how about this? Now, what's the? let me ask you a question before I even throw the stat at you. What's the best conference in college football? That would be the South, Southeastern Conference. Southeastern the Conference, SEC. right? And it's kind of not close, right? I mean, maybe the Big Ten is... Second, but yeah, they but they go they go they disappear. Besides Ohio there. State, they vanish. Yeah, last two seasons, Nick Bolton led the SEC in tackles. Wow, last two seasons, not just last season, two seasons in a row, Nick Bolton, Missouri leads the entire SEC. Who does that include? Georgia, awesome defense. Alabama, awesome defense. Auburn, awesome defense. Oh, throwing teams like Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, who usually has good linebackers. Who led? Yeah, who led the SEC two years in a row in tackles? Ah, That's good stat. Nick Bolton. Like, hello, like, wow, where'd this guy come from? You don't hear about him because Missouri's been kind of a middle-of-the-road average football team over the last couple years, so he doesn't have a chance to stand out. Plus, he's kind of like a middle linebacker, so it's like, who gives a shit about middle linebackers? But you talk about production, you know, his his number, his stats or his body isn't going to stand out. Like, his speed isn't going to stand out. But, dude, you lead the SEC in tackles two years in a row? That's saying something, man. That's impressive Absolutely. to me. Again, yeah. I'm not going to try to make a prediction on what round he's going to go on, but I guarantee you nobody that's listening to us has ever heard of him, and you should probably think about, you know, keeping an eye out and an ear open as to where this guy ends up going. Like he's a ball player. I mean, he's a football player. This is one of those guys, I don't know what his vertical leap is. I don't know what his 40-yard dash is. But yeah, some yeah. team, some GM is going to say, I don't give a shit what those numbers are. That guy led the SEC in tackles for two years in a row. I'm taking him. If you told me he was a London Fletcher, you sign right up, right? This is what I'm saying. Like, you know, if the Alabama middle linebacker led the SEC in tackles, he'd have been All-American. Yeah. But because he's on Missouri, we don't know about him. And I don't know. I, I, I want to know about a guy like that. I want to see where a guy like that ends up. What are they going to project it, Pete? I don't know. I, did, I didn't see it. He, you know, again, if you go by pro football focus, he wasn't that far down the list. Um, but he's not a guy that most people know about, you know? So I, I, I got, you know, I don't know because I don't know his size. I don't know his, his size and speed and that kind of thing. Maybe he's an undersized guy that just overproduces in college football. Who knows? But I don't care. We've seen a Jonathan Vilma. We've seen a Sam Mills oh, from dude. my alma mater, Montclair State. Uh, we've seen undersized <laughs> linebackers, you know, play some serious football and be big time players. Uh, so I don't really care. Now maybe I wouldn't take him early in the, early in the draft. So be it. I want a guy like that on my football team. You know, I, and you know what? 
Maybe he's a special teams player. Maybe he's a role player. I don't know, but I want a guy like that on my football team. That's a that's a Rudy-type player. If he's not a starter, that's a Rudy-type player, which just elevates the level of competition of your team during practice and all that kind of stuff. So, Even if he's a sub, he's a great sub to have. He yeah. can probably do a lot of things. You know he loves football. You don't lead the yeah. SEC in tackles if you don't love football. No. I don't care you if don't you're an elite your face, athlete or you not. Don't put your face mask, you don't put your face mask in there game after game if you don't love football. That's fine. No, so, like, that blows me away. Like, that, to me, like, if you told me you led the, the Western Athletic Conference, which I don't even know if it exists anymore, but, like, if you led something like that, it's like, oh, well, whatever. You lead the SEC? Like, whoa. Yeah. And not just one year, two years in a row. So, yeah, it good, says a lot. Good name. I'm gonna. It says a lot. I tell you what, I'm gonna keep my eyes out for him on Thursday, Friday. We're, we're waking each other up to here. This is that's great, it, man. <laughs> that's why we do it. So I got a guy for you. Um, I think you. I think you were trying to go this way before, but his name is very tough to pronounce. Is Jeremiah Awusu Karamoa? There you go. From Notre Dame. That's He's too six much. One, two, that's too much for me. Yeah, listen, Montclair education right there. Montclair bro. State <laughs> and a gym teacher, you know, football coach. Duh. No, we're not. We're not making fun of anybody on this show. No. Um, I'm brilliant. 6'1", 220. Probably the ideal size height-wise for a middle linebacker. Maybe a little undersized. Maybe a little maybe narrow in the ass. Weight-wise. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But you could bulk him up a little bit. That's what he wanted to do. So he did not run a 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the program, bro. Our favorite yes. movie. I was just watching it yesterday. Um, oh, tremendous. It's so good. Um, He did not run a 40. He's got a little hamstring quad tightness uh, when they did their pro day a couple weeks back. But watching them play, a lot of Notre Dame games this year, they were a very good team all year, played Clemson twice. This guy can play, and he's got the Notre Dame stature, very smart player mm-hmm. on a very good defense. Not Ellison, a lot of, play not a lot of dummies on Notre Dame. No, not. And then they've been, getting, they've been getting more and more athletic as the year's going on, too, with Brian Kelly's been – Changing their philosophy recruiting wise. It's a good coach. This guy, listen, this guy, this guy can run. This guy can play. Uh, and as a Bronco fan, I don't want him at nine. But if they could do something, wait, trade back or trade in or whatever, I'd be all for it. So you would, you think you'd have to trade back into the first round for that? He's a first rounder, right? I, I think he's probably twenty to th- twenty to thirty-five. I think late first think round, early second there. round. Yeah, I think he is. I think just because he's smart, he's fast, and and. He's proven like we talk about this all the time. I like I like game film. Yeah. The combine's great and the pro days are great. I like game film. And watching him play against Clemson and running down ETN and covering the flat and doing all those things. And the Broncos need linebackers, I'd be all for it. Nice. Nice. I like that one. And you know what? Notre Dame has a pretty good history of of producing linebackers too. So it's not like yeah. uh you're you're kind of Trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, so I like that one. Listen, the only—I just hope he doesn't have a fake girlfriend. That's the only thing I'd be concerned about. <laughs> Can't have that again, right? Too too soon? <laughs> no, no, too late. Yeah, <laughs> shit, we're still bringing that one up, poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my next guy, I would call a project. Okay, but. He's the one I kind of alluded to earlier when I said sometimes guys change positions and then they they show um, extreme ability in one facet of the game, but because they haven't been doing it long enough, they're not necessarily um, seasoned at all the aspects of a position. 
So sure. Chaz, uh, I'm certain I'm butchering his name, but I'm going to do the best I can here. Chaz Surratt, who is basically an outside linebacker, rush end. I, I don't know what he changed from. He might have gone from middle to outside or I don't know. He is Carolina. Carolina. Yep, North Carolina. He is a pass rush specialist. And I say that because he has a friggin' endless motor. Like he gets after it hard and with speed on every friggin' play. The downside is he is a little wild. Like he was called reckless. Reckless. He goes after it with reckless abandon, which if your only job is to get after the quarterback, then so be it. But you do have other yeah. responsibilities, and he whiffed on some of those other responsibilities, but probably because he was changing positions. Um, so unbelievable talent, very raw, probably like a mid-rounder, third, fourth round. But again, this is again one of those where I say like early in his career, if you're looking for a pass rush, like I'll give you an example, might, might be a perfect team for him, like Kansas City Chiefs. Like Kansas City is going to have to start to be more creative with what they do, especially in the draft, because as time goes on, um, money, they're going to run out of money because uh, Mahomes is going to eat up so much of that cap. Right. So now you can throw in a guy who just like at least in the beginning of his career, he just gets after the quarterback. And this dude is real about getting after the quarterback. And now with some pro coaching behind him. He can start to. I don't know that he's ever going to be like a a, a, um, a well balanced defensive player, but not for anything in this league. If you can get after the quarterback and do nothing else, you can you can have a really awesome career. You can have a really great Absolutely. career. Um, so I'm looking at this guy Chaz Surratt and saying, man, if you can get him third, fourth, fifth round, like some somewhere in there, he's available. And you're just look. And I am as I am saying something like the Jets for this because. While what they've done is they have bolstered that defensive line, pass rush is still an issue. I wouldn't draft pass rush for the Jets early in this draft. They have way bigger needs. But, man, if you can get a kid like this who just, man, he just got that motor and gets after it hard, and as the game goes on and guys get tired, he doesn't. And that's when you want you know, a guy getting after the quarterback late in the game. Especially Absolutely. early in his career, man, that's 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 one of those guys that I just say, if used properly, if you expect too much, you're going to be disappointed. If you put too much on his plate, you're probably going to be disappointed because he just doesn't have the seasoning. He just doesn't have the time at the position. But if you start him doing what he's good at and teach him over the next three years, he's one of these guys that could be a steal of the draft, that could end up being a Pro Bowl player that ends up coming out of the third to fifth round or something like that. Like where I'm saying a, a Nick Bolton who led the SEC in tackles, he's just a, he, he's just kind of a football player, and I don't know if he's ever going to be an all-pro, just going to be a good football player. This guy could end up – Chaz Surratt could end up being special, like a special player. He could end up being a special player if done properly. I have a question for you. Does it scare you that he's 24 years old or it I doesn't matter because you're going to take him late? Now, it scares – I don't know if the word is scared, but that's why I'm not going to draft them early. Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't look at his actual stats. I was just reading his, um, I was just reading his uh, review on like draft status Summary and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's just say he had 10 sacks last year. Let's say if he had 10 sacks last year, I, you know, if, if you get a college football player that gets 10 sacks, he's a first, that's a first round pick. 
Like, that's a first-round pick, dude, because that projects to even more in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, longer exactly. ga- Longer games, more plays, more games. Yep. Then I'd have an issue because now you're talking about, am I going to draft a guy who's 24 years old with a, you know, with a top te- a, a, a first round pick. That's, yeah. you know, that would make me a little more concerned, but man, if you're going to get this guy, if you're talking about a third or fourth rounder, how many years do you want? Out of him? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're, you're looking for six to eight years out of a, out of a, out of a rush end. So, or, or an outside linebacker, you know, an yeah, edge, ru- an edge rusher. Yeah. Takes you a 31 or 32, yeah. you sign up for that in the, in the fourth or fifth round, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. make a good point. It's It probably will cost him. He'll, he'll probably end up going later because of it. He won't he won't go early because of it. But if you're just looking – Well, hey, better late, better late than never, brother. Yeah, and if we're talking about a fourth or fifth round, a third, fourth, fifth rounder, it's cheap. It's just – it's cheap. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's like, you know, cheap labor. And it could be – listen, even if you got four or five years, what is it, 24? Even if you got six years until he's 30, you're talking – you know, cheap labor with high production at a, at a crucial position. Well, there's not a, there's not a team in this league. And that includes the Browns who just signed Clowney. There's not a friggin' team in this league that doesn't want more pass rushers. Like there's just, there's not one because the game is a, it's a passing league. It's quarterback league. So you're just, you're, there's three jobs, uh, get a quarterback, protect your quarterback, get after the quarterback. Like that's, that's (laughs) the, that's the NFL right now. Get a quarterback, Mm -hmm. protect your quarterback, get after the quarterback. And if you can get after the quarterback, I mean, the Jets have been searching, I don't know, a decade, a friggin' decade, maybe since John Abraham uh, for a pass rusher. And I'm not saying they're going to pick this guy, and I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying, like, I'm using them as an example. Yeah, of it. When you're looking, you're looking because teams don't let those guys go. Like, they just right. sign. Those are guys you sign. You sign your quarterbacks. You sign your, your, your left tackle. Tackles. And you yeah. and you sign your pass rushers. Like if they're still productive, you sign them. Houston lets JJ walk on because they're starting over, not because they don't like pass rushers. Like right. you know, so everyone's looking for a pass rusher. And if you can get this guy later in the draft, you're not going to draft him early. Ugh. Could be could be a major steal. Chaz Surratt out of North Carolina. Keep an eye out. So I wasn't going to do this guy, but I think because we talked about this two or three times already with sitting out a year and how big of a deal mm. it is and how unknown it is. I got to hit him. Micah Parsons, Penn state. This guy is a stud. He's a stud yeah. watching him play a lot of games in the big 10, watching him play Michigan twice. Let me interrupt you for Six, a second. Three. Sure. Go ahead. Buddy. There's an argument to be made that him and Kyle Pitts are the two best players in this draft. Yeah. Like there's a real yep. argument to be made. And the only argument that puts Kyle Pitts ahead is because of what you just said that Parsons didn't you, play. Yeah, he said you out. watched him play last year. You saw him play a whole season. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Micah Parsons so, is that friggin' good. He's a stud, man. He's a stud. 6'3", 245, a sub four four forty, dude. That's dude. That's f- so terrifying. So he's Devin <laughs> the force Bush that's Devin generated White. with that kind of speed, he's, man. Devin Bush and Devin White run that, but this guy's six three two forty five, dude. It's scary. It's terrifying. Like that's a horror. So movie. you know, I, you know, I've been saying this for weeks. I, Broncos at nine. Broncos at nine. Please. This Broncos is who you've wanted. Nine. Yeah, dude. Oh my god! And watching more film on him this week. Getting ready for this. Oh, dude. No, the film and, is but bananas. The only thing is, 
what what the hell is he going to look like with a year off? Is he going to be this better? Is the is big he question. Worse? Is he gonna, dude, oh. All right, so I'm going to give you a name that he reminds me of, um, and I can't remember his first name. Uh, Brooks played for Florida State. Derek. Where, Derek Brooks. Derek Brooks. Like I see Derek Brooks because Derek Brooks to me that's a good one. Dude. In my that's a good one. in my memory, he's one of the first middle linebackers that I remember being an elite athlete. Like middle linebackers were always a little more Mike Singletary, like stocky, tough. Clunky a little bit, yeah. Like. They were vertical movers. They weren't necessarily horizontal movers. And for those of you yeah. who are listening, what I mean by that is those were guys who run stoppers. They played tackle to tackle. They didn't necessarily go sideline to sideline. And then came along Derek Brooks, who was basically like an outside linebacker. How about this? He was Lawrence Taylor playing middle linebacker. Like he was athletic, yeah. fast, strong, like best, probably best athlete on the team playing middle linebacker. And Micah Parsons, dude, you're talking a guy, a middle linebacker running a goddamn four four forty. That's you know you we we've you know you broke my you broke my bull so many times about Kyle Pitts, <laughs> and I and I and my question is who's covering him? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want him to have to do it on every down, but you know who could do it? Yeah, Micah, Micah Parsons. Parsons could do it because yes. he's got the yes, size, sir. the speed, the agility, the ability like he, it's all there. I wouldn't want him doing it all the time because he's a middle linebacker. I don't want him covering all the time, but ugh. yeah. The guy's a stud. No. But know. there's that question for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Did sitting out a year you know cause a cause I an know. issue? Crazy. It's going to be so interesting. Well, cuz here's why this is so interesting. If it if it's a problem, it might not be a long-term problem. Well, I don't know. Well, because what oh, we've yeah. seen is it has been a long-term problem. The, yeah. the few examples we gave is with Le'Veon Bell and with um, the running back Maurice from Claret. Maurice Claret. It was a long-term problem. It is football something you can turn back on after two years, basically? And I don't know. And what's what what's interesting is if he pans out and all these guys who sat out, if they pan out and they're all players, are we gonna start to see guys who get three, four games oh. into their into their junior or senior Juniors, season I hope not. and just bail? Oh, I hope not. Because they're like, I don't need to play anymore, I'm gonna be a pro. You know? Uh we, we talked about Rashad Bateman for Minnesota. Minnesota is never gonna win a national championship game, and they're rarely gonna be in the hunt for a Big Ten championship slash Rose Bowl. Right. So if you're Rashad Bateman and you're with Minnesota and you're four and two or 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 three and three, four and two you might still play. But even four and two in the Big Ten, it's probably your season, you're not gonna go to the Rose Bowl or championship game. Right, right, yeah. I don't want to see guys starting to be like, Well, I'm going to the pros, so I'm done. I'm shutting it down because it doesn't matter. Like we have evidence that it doesn't mess you up by sitting out that long. And I did play six games, so so what? That's what I'm concerned about, but it is a risk. Oh, I, would, I would hate, I would hate that if that would never came the case. I don't, I don't oh, love to sit out the bowl game thing as it is now. If you if you sit out half a regular season, holy Christ, it would kill the sport. Um, it wouldn't kill the sport. It would hurt the sport. You don't, you don't want your. I remember when Christian McCaffrey decided to sit out the bowl game for Stanford, and I was like, really, dude? This is the last time yeah. you're ever going to suit up for Stanford. And you're going to sit out, and he sat out. And it didn't hurt him, but it just sucked. It sucked, especially it if you're a it fan sucked. of like college bowls and all that kind of stuff. And you know who it sucks even more for? I'm being selfish when I say it sucks for college football fans. It sucked for his teammates. Because for most mm-hmm. of those guys and most of those seniors that were on that Stanford team, that was their last game. 
Now, I don't remember if they won or lost, but, you know, you'd like either. to go. If you're a senior, you'd like to go into that bowl game with your best player and walk off that field a winner in the last time you ever put a helmet on. I'm well, you know, saying. that's what makes it such a tough decision for everyone involved in it. It's, just, it's, it's, it's not an easy call. It's not. No, it's not. I don't like that, though. I don't I don't like that. But anyway, do you have any others? Because I'm I'm out. I had four. And I, I don't. Was, okay, I don't. Good. So I wanted, to, I wanted to bring up something that I alluded to last week, and then we just started going, and I just never got back to it. I told you last week that I was going to justify a pick for Justin Fields. Because I'm not a Justin Fields guy, but I want to be fair. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think he's like garbage or something like that. I just like Zach Wilson better. I like Trevor Lawrence better. But I'm going to make a case, and I think a really good case, for Justin Fields. High in this draft. Higher than um, Mac Jones. Higher than Kyle Trask. Higher than uh, Trey Lance. Okay? so Because to me, he checks off most every box. Right. So my... I'll give you the – I've mentioned the concern, so let me just mention it again. He – I don't care what anybody says. I saw Dan – dumb Dan Orlovsky on ESPN. He showed a single play. He showed one single play where Justin Fields went through a number of reads. And it's like, see, he could do it. And I'm like, dude, he played for two goddamn seasons. You show one play, and it's like, oh, this is settled. It's settled. He knows how to read. Like, stop <laughs> I saw, it. I Asshole. Saw that. Just I saw. stop it. You're an embarrassment. Okay? And before I go any further, let me just let me just state this. If you're watching ESPN or the NFL Network or or any channel that's going to be showing the draft, any channel who's invested in the draft, be very careful what you listen to because they need intrigue. They need interest. They need eyes. They're looking for viewers and all Storylines. They want storylines. They're not interested in what you know. They're interested in what you think. Okay? So the reality is Justin Fields has shown a number of times that he has He's slow to go from his first to second or third read, okay? Whereas I've seen Zach Wilson so many times. Boom, 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 boom. I've seen it with Mac Jones. Mac Jones, maybe he's the best at this, going from first to second to third to fourth read, okay? It just is what it is. It just is what it is. Does that mean that Justin Fields has never, never gone through his progressions? You're an asshole. If you say something like that, you're an idiot, okay? And you shouldn't even be allowed to talk about football or quarterbacks if that's what you're saying or if that's what you think we're saying because that's not the case. Justin Fields absolutely has gone through a progression. I'm just explaining that there's been a concerning number of times where it's slow, where it's either he's not sure where that second and third read are or he just is a little slow to pull the trigger once he sees it. Either or quicker one, to put it down and run, too. One of those either one too. is concerning. Well, pulling yeah. it, tucking it down, this is where I'm going to justify it. Tucking it down is not as big a problem, so, and I'll get to that. But just understand, this is a problem with most quarterbacks in high school and college. Processing. Processing is friggin' hard, man. There's a thousand moving parts all at the same time, and 80 arrows aimed right at your friggin' head, and you have to make a decision in like 2.5 seconds. It's hard, okay? It's friggin' hard. And this is not about like intelligence or anything like that. I couldn't do it. I had a hard time with it. I couldn't get, I couldn't always get to my third read. It's just hard, okay? So this is a problem. With that said, every, everything else, dude checks the boxes. He's big, 
strong, fast, athletic, has a strong arm, can make all the throws, leader, good kid, smart. Like, I've used the example, I've said to you, he's Cam Newton, but a better passer. Now, I don't love Cam Newton, but Cam Newton went to a friggin' Super Bowl. Cam Newton was an MVP in this league. Like, yep. and it, I think he's a better passer. And I think he's actually faster straight line and maybe quicker than oh. Cam. Cam's a little bigger, but he's Cam Newton, but better. Um, now, that may not be your cup of tea, but, but as far as ability and, and talent in this league, man, who doesn't want Cam Newton plus? Like Cam right. Newton plus a little more. You know what I'm saying? If you're a Jets fan, you. this is why I said to you, I'm not 100% sure that the Jets are, it's a done deal. They haven't said that. Reports are bullshit. All the reports you mm -hmm. hear are bullshit because nobody knows a source close to the team. Get the hell out of here. It's all smoke and mirrors. Nobody knows shit. Well, okay? well that's like the Niners, that's like the Niners with Mac Jones. Like, who says what? We don't know anything. You don't yet. know that. Chris Sims no. assumes that because of conversations he had with a close friend. friend. And if there's anybody I'm going to listen to on this, it is Sims because he's actually a friend who texts and talks with Kyle Shanahan as opposed to right. like, you know, anybody on anybody else on ESPN. ESPN is just a joke. But I'm just saying, while I don't necessarily love Justin Fields, I'm here to tell you early in his career – He's going to be probably just fine because of his athleticism. So, okay, so he can't get to his first or second read or, or, or second or third read. Well, you know, if you're Mac Jones and you can't get to your second or third read, you're 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 up shit's creek without an oar. Okay? Yeah. Because you can't you're dead. Dude, this guy is a is a tight end slash wide receiver at quarterback. So yeah, so for the first year or two, he's gonna take off. So what? For the first couple of years, he's Lamar Jackson? Uh, and they haven't lost. They haven't won less than ten games with Lamar Jackson, and he's a infinitely better passer than Lamar Jackson. He's not the runner Lamar Jackson is, but he's more than capable of running. So, mm -hmm. as far as like, while I have others I like more than Justin Fields, let's not pretend that Justin Fields. Come on, um, Trey Lance over Justin Fields? No way, dude. No, dude. There's no 18 way. times a game, oh. and he plays in, a, in a basically one double A. Like, come oh. on, come on. Like, just slow down. So I still think Justin Fields is a top 10 quarterback. I'm not convinced he's not going to number two. And if he doesn't go to the Jets at number two, I actually do think he he would he would be a nice fit with Kyle Shanahan and those weapons and that offensive line and that running game yep. and that defense in San yep. Francisco. I think that's freaking scary, dude. And I I, I bet you he probably even if even if Jimmy G balls out for the first six eight games of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see Justin Fields in there to end that season. Just I, you put him in the right spot, and the, the son of a bitch is dangerous as shit, dude, because he is in a way better passer than Cam. And and he can and he can take off like like nobody's business. And oh, by the way, he's tough as shit. Like we've seen yeah. oh, that yeah. he's tough as hell. Yeah. So yep. you know, good kid puts the work in. You know, I want Zach Wilson at number two for the Jets. But if they did pick number, if they did pick Justin Fields, while well, I'll be like, ah, oh, damn. After that, I'm like, let's go. Like let's go. Use the guy for his talents. Be smart and use yeah. the guy for his talents. Like this is not like. Who was tight end that you mentioned that the Jets picked that one year? That it was oh, like, what Christ. the hell out of Penn State? 
It was like Kyle Brady. Kyle Brady, like what? What? What'd you just do? Like, (laughs) no. If they take Justin Fields, listen. If they take if the Jets or any team, whoever takes Justin Fields, you have a strategy in mind of how you're going to use this guy. You understand what I'm saying? And it ain't going to be like using like Tom Brady. So, you know, that's my rant on that. That's my rant. Listen, good good rant. Um, I will. I wanted to mention one more guy because. He's not moving up the board, but it's like, well, are the rumors true? And I went and watched some more film on Kyle Trask. And I watched his pro day. Now, the pro day doesn't mean shit, in my opinion, for the most part. Pro days can confirm what you already know. um, And that's about the best you can get out of it. Or they can disprove something that you thought. That's about it. And I'll take that. It's worth the trip. And That's here's good call, yeah. and here's what it disproved to me that Kyle Trask has like a noodle arm. Like th- this is how things change, right? You go, you go from not having a cannon to you have a new. Now you're Chad Pennington. Okay, <laughs> he's not. He is not some weak armed dude. He ha- he can throw it, he can throw it a rock. I haven't heard that one that he had a weak arm. I, that, he doesn't have a cannon. My... He doesn't have a cannon. Right. This is true. Well, you can still play in the NFL without. Oh one. my god. I watched him. I watched game film of him. He can sling it, and he's incredibly accurate. I mean, incredibly accurate. And you can't be incredibly accurate and have a noodle arm because then you're overthrowing it. A lot of times, you throw it short. You sail a ball. You'll see this with um, uh, Fitzpatrick sometimes. Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick doesn't have a great arm. I used to see this with the Jets. So a lot of times he has to overthrow to sneak a ball in. And a lot of times it's okay because he's a pro. The ball, gets, the ball gets silly. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it gets a little off and it gets picked. Not with Kyle Trask. I, I didn't see that at all. I see a guy who has plenty of arm. and on top, But I, what I do see is a guy who's incredibly accurate. I watched him go through multiple, multiple progressions. And when he makes a decision, makes a great throw. And to your point about him, he's a big, strong dude. And if there's yeah. anybody who can improve on arm strength over the long term, it's a guy who's already pretty damn big. Like if you already, if you're, I mean, I think he's sitting at you six five, two thirty five, two forty. Exactly. You know, with some work and time, yeah. that guy's he, he can have the me, arm. I know, I know. I wouldn't take him in the first round. No, 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 I wouldn't. Either. But I'm looking at a team like the Steelers, Tennessee. Um, you know, the Packers have a guy, but like that's like a spot where I can see, um, you know, a team, Saints. the Saints, Houston. Uh, you don't want to have to start him right away, and you're not looking for a guy who's mobile, but he's a little better than than reports are telling you. How about that? He's a little better than what reports are telling you. I tell you what, man, and I know I know we've been hitting Jets and Broncos a little bit a lot today because that's our teams, but hey, tough shit. That's what you're gonna get out of us because that's what we know. Yeah, for sure. But but if the Broncos take Mike, Micah Parsons at nine and then take Trask later on, dude, let's go. Yeah, I you got you got to be okay with it. He's got big enough hands. He's a big dude, tough. I watched. I was watching a game. Here, here's a perfect example. And him. bro, he look he looks good in orange. He does. It's a perfect fit. <laughs> and you'll love this against Georgia. Georgia's one of the best defenses in the country. He ends up throwing like four or five touchdown passes, almost 500 yards. And what I liked even more, it was on multiple occasions. He just stands in that pocket with a guy breathing down his neck, releases the ball, takes a big hit, and completes it. Completes it. Yeah. And even on like jump ball scenarios, you know, you got a guy like Kyle Pitts. Sometimes you're just going to chuck it up to him and say, "You're better than the defender. Go get it." And he did yeah, that. Yeah. He certainly did that. But you can't just chuck it up. 
It's like, where do you chuck it so that your guy has the best chance at it? And he's masterful at that. He's masterful at that. I really, when I watched him, Ben Roethlisberger came to mind. Ben was a better runner young, as a younger man, for sure. Trask isn't as unathletic as people think, number one. But as a passer, style, thickness, physicality, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I wouldn't give up. He's not a top 10 guy. I don't even think he's a first round guy. And I think he's a, a fit guy. Like he needs to go somewhere. But yeah, you mentioned New Orleans sure. with with Sean Payton. Let him go to work with him. You know, hey, you got that it's actually getting to be a better pick the more I think about it. Drew Brees wasn't a big arm, a big strong arm guy, but he was smart. And he wasn't a mobile guy, mm-hmm. but he was mm-hmm. smart. And he'd get the ball out on time. And if you watch anything with Kyle Trask's tape, um, he gets the ball out on time. He's got a strong base. Like the right fit, the right team, the right coach. You know, some, some we've talked about this. You put Trevor Lawrence on pretty much any team, he's going to do well. You put Andrew Luck on pretty much any team. You put John Elway on pretty much any team. You put Dan Marino on any team. These guys are going to do well. They're that good. Like they're just they're just that good. It's just the way it is. But some guys, Tom Brady. If Tom Brady ended up on San Diego, I don't know that he's still winning six or seven Super Bowls. Like. And he says that. He's the first one to say of course. it. I got lucky. It's part of it. So, yeah. you know, if if Matthew Stafford ends up on, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of who was decent at the time. But, like, you know, if he ends up on the Giants instead of Detroit, maybe he's yeah. got two or three Super Bowls. In the same time that Eli was there, right. like, maybe he's right. got three instead of two. So, you know, that, that kind of helps. And I think Kyle Trask is one of those guys that are like, man, in the right system at the right time with the right coach – could be could be very interesting. Hey, just don't forget you can uh, listen to us on Google Podcasts, on Outcast, on Spotify, on Anchor. And if you listen to us on Anchor, as always, just like Steve did today, you can leave us a voice message. And if it's any good, especially if you you know tell me how brilliant I am and how great my math is, because I'm so good with math. <laughs> Um, you got a really good chance of getting on the air and getting on the show. We don't, we, we love um, entertaining some of our guests and see what they got. So that's the Anchor app. But anywhere you listen is great. We appreciate you listening. And don't forget, you can find us on YouTube, BNR Clips, or on Instagram at Bump and Run Cast. And you can direct message us on Instagram. There's so many ways. Scott, dude, there's so many ways. I may just have you so next week. You just DM in. You're not going to even like talk. You're just constant <laughs> direct messages. We'll have it show up on the screen and... It'll be a lot of fun. Listen, I found this story as a former coach, I guess. Maybe maybe, maybe this is a dumb story. Maybe maybe this is the kind of story that people aren't interested in, but I'm interested in it, and I coached you, so maybe this is just you and me talking and everybody else shuts off the podcast. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> but I was like, ugh. I got like, I got like chills listening to this freaking story. So a report came out the other day that more or less uh, Doug Peterson, before his second year even started – Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, and Howie Roseman, the GM, were kind of giving him shit. And they were like pulling him into the office every Tuesday after a game and kind of tearing apart what happened during the game and why'd you do this and why'd you do this. And the quote that was in the article, I think it was for um, the the Athletic, the, I think it was the Athletic where the article was located, um, was that Jeffrey Lurie and, and Howie Roseman treated Peterson, quote, like a baby, unquote. And criticized every decision. 
Now, what's fascinating about this, number one, is that that second year, I'm trying to think of who the defense coordinator was. Was it Schwartz? I think it was. Uh, was it Schwartz? Yeah, it had to be. It was, right? They Yeah. They brought him in before the season even started. Laurie and Roseman bring him in on a private meeting without Peterson even wow. knowing. As kind of like a, hey, if Get things ready. don't work out, we may make a move midseason. Are you Jesus. prepared? No bullshit. Like, are you prepared to take over? It's like, wow, dude, you hired this guy second, and he's only in his second season. That's nuts. <laughs> like, it, this bothers me. So what it's, at least what's reported and what the rumors were is that this is kind of a battle between analytics and football people. It's like the numbers nerds. And the, and, the, and the football people, and the football scouts, people. Yeah. coaches, that kind of thing. And this is like a growing pro- problem in sports where, you know, analytics, money ball, I guess you can say, is, I don't know if the word is. War, wins above replacement, that garbage. All, all that, that stuff. stuff, man. Like in, yep. in baseball, we saw it before football and it was like walks are better than, almost better than hits. Home runs. Never bunt, never steal. Never like, bunt, dude. never steal. Uh, home run, go for home runs. Strikeouts don't matter. An out is an out. So whether you strike out or ground out doesn't or fly out doesn't matter. Yeah. You try to hit home runs. So now we have a league that's basically uh, MLB I'm talking about. It's yep, yep. strikeout, walk, or home run. And it's boring as shit. Like it's just killing the sport. Um, and now you're kind of – it's crept into football. It's certainly crept into basketball. If you think that it just became sexy for guys to shoot threes, you're out of your gourd. It's because analytics show us percentage rate for I knew this as a high school kid. Why am I going to sh- why am I going to shoot a two-pointer when I shoot threes at the same rate? I for me personally, I set a yeah. county I set a yeah. county record for threes my senior year. I had 36 threes, I only had 12 twos. <laughs> right? But why? Because for yeah. me, I can hit 40% from 12 feet. I can hit 40, 38% from three. From so 20, why the hell am I yeah. going to shoot twos yeah. when I basically hit a same percentage and it counts for 33% more so or 50% more actually. So, you know, um, analytics is what's killed sports fun, the fun of sports. You don't have your Michael Jordans and your Dwayne Wade's anymore because the game is dunk or three. And this is what is happening in the NFL also like, so what, one of the games that they talked about, I don't know who they played specifically, but they ran the ball for like almost 200 yards. And the analytics guys, and they ended up winning the game late. And the analytics mm-hmm. guys were like, why didn't you throw it more? And it's like, well, they're playing cover seven. And for those of you who are listening, which means basically you have seven defensive backs and four, four down linemen. We, we, you, can't, you can't continually throw into that. It's just it's bad numbers. They're giving us the run. They're giving us the Why run. Yeah. And, we, and yeah. oh, by the way, we almost ran for 200 yards. Like, and we won the game. And we won the game. Why are you questioning this? And this is what was happening on a weekly basis. And just to put this into some context, because this was a battle that Peterson dealt with that whole season. They won the effing Super Bowl that year. Mm-hmm. They won the Super Bowl. So... Um, this is just inter- so fascinating to me and so interesting because you're questioning oh, let, let a, a successful coach. Yeah, please. Let me jump in one second. So that this is how big 
of assholes and those egos egos are of those the GM and the owner of that team. They're only two years removed from the Super Bowl, and they couldn't wait to get rid of his ass. It's amazing, right? With Dude, all the injuries, I, like the uh, injury situation yeah. for the Eagles is undeniable. And it you, was you, one of the worst in the league by far for two years in a row. Yeah, it's it's absolutely, and uh, and still the year before Carson Wentz found a way to like get him into the playoffs by winning the last four games of the season. You're like, damn man, yep, like wow, yep, and you get yep. no credit for that, and you get fired two years out from winning a Super Bowl. But, it's like Jesus. But that makes a lot of sense. Why that makes a lot of sense why he got no credit for it because they didn't want any piece of giving it to him. No, clearly not. That's that. Clearly not. You know, like part of it, was... part of it may be a media-driven narrative because what do we look at? What did we? What did many of us think when Frank Reich took the Indianapolis job? The Eagles were never the same. Well, there was a lot that was not the same. They didn't have the same yeah. receivers. They didn't have the same defense. They didn't have the same like injuries decimated. You know, at the end of the season two years ago, they were playing with you know practice players, practice squad players at wide receiver and winning. You know, I don't, yep. I, I don't, I don't necessarily love Peterson as a coach, but dude, I mean, come on, you're, you're two years yeah, removed that's... from the play, you're, you're one year removed from the playoffs. You've been a winning head coach every year except this past season. You won a Super Bowl, and after four years, you're friggin' gone. Yeah, this is Google, dude. This is the Google effect. This is analytics. This is numbers. This is zeros and ones. Algorithms taking the place of humanity. And yep. while I think it's make no mistake, it has a place. It certainly has a place. I mean, that's part of scouting, right? What are your this is what we've done forever. What are your tendencies? What are you likely to do in this situation, that situation? What works best for us in this situation, in that situation? But at some point, like there's no algorithm for deception. There's no algorithm for um retaliation. Yeah, absolutely. There's no algorithm right. for you know, uh, changing the pace or leading misdirection, basically like leading them this way and going this way. Like, Oh, we're going to make, you know, I play a lot of ping pong and I love, you know, one of the things I tell my students at school is like, I don't try to move you over to one side of the, of the table all at once. I'll take three shots to move you over three inches at a time. And then I go to the other side. There's no analytics for that, dude. There's no number that says do it three times. No, I, I have to see it. I have to react to it. How much did you move? Okay, I want you to move a little more. Okay, you move that much? I want you to move a little more. And now I'm going to go to the other side. See, with football this and why, sports, you have to play it to see what the other team's doing. Well, you can't just make decisions based on numbers. Analytics to me in sports is ridiculous because like, you just made good points with your, your ping pong thing. But, dude, injuries and weather – in baseball and football, especially, dude, you can't factor. You get a fucking snowstorm. Excuse me, you get a snowstorm in the, in the East Coast. Are you gonna are you gonna throw the ball forty five times? Yeah, you're gonna run the ball for. I, I mean, I don't care what the numbers say. It's like you said, your eyes sometimes and your common sense sometimes has to play a part in it. Yeah, no, whether you're Doug Peterson or any head coach in the NFL, I don't even care if you're Adam, even Adam Gase. Adam Gase spent a number of years. In football, there's a reason he got head coaching jobs because he showed at least a pension for knowing Something. what he's doing as a coordinator. Yeah. It took years, yeah. maybe decades for most of these guys. That's got to mean something more me than nuts. just numbers. Again, I'm not trying to say even John Gruden acknowledges and John Gruden is as much a football guy as there is a football guy. He doesn't want to hear too much about numbers, but he even he acknowledges that the analytics has a place. 
works. So, and of so, course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. You want a direction. You want an idea. You want to feel. Hey, you want tendencies. You want all that kind of stuff. But for it to make every one of your decisions, why bother yeah, having coaches? Why don't oh. Jeffy Lurie and Howie Roseman just call plays from the from the booth? Like, what's the point? I like, swear, these are people. I swear to God. Sometimes I think the Yankees, Aaron Boone's a robot, and sometimes I think they're they're they're, they're managing a game from the from the upstairs, and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, Moneyball started with Oakland, and Oakland hasn't won a yeah. World Series. Now, you could say, well, they don't have the money to do that. Well, uh, the Yankees have been using analytics and Moneyball almost purely now, and they haven't won one either. And you can say, well, Boston used it back in the day, and they did. Boston was friggin' loaded, dude. They had a loaded-ass team. They had great pitching, great hitting. Like, that. they were really, 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 really good. They didn't win because of and, analytics. And, Stop it. And and, the, and what uh, analytics isn't they had the it factor. They had they had the chip on the shoulder. Come on. They had they had the swagger. They, uh, yeah, I mean this is. I think Pedro Martinez was great because of analytics. Like, stop it. Just stop you it. Think someone was gonna, do you think someone was going to go tell Kurt Schilling about analytics? I mean, just it, I don't think so. In the end, in the end, these are people. You know, so I'm a teacher. And one of the problems, I wrote a book, it's called School Sucks. And one of the things I talk about is that everything can't be data-driven. Like one of the you know catch terms in education right now is these techniques are data-driven. Your data doesn't mean shit when you're dealing with my student whose, whose father just beat the shit out of his mother last night. What does your data say about that? Because you don't know how to handle that kid when he's in with 10 other kids and they're all happy and, and having a good time and he feels like shit. Or my other student whose father has cancer and he's he's normally a, a happy-go-lucky, go at it, go, you know, enjoy life kind of kid. And today he's not saying a word and you got to figure out why. Your analytics and your data doesn't mean shit for a kid like that. In the yep. end, dude, all yeah. the pieces that we're playing with except for the football, the baseball, the basketball itself are human beings. Mm -hmm. And motivation plays a factor. And life plays a factor, and home plays a factor, and age plays a factor, and injuries play a factor. Tom Brady is the anti-analytics. He doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not mobile. Um, he was a you he's know forty-three years old. He's Forty-three years old. What do your fucking analytics say about that? Like, start, like at some point you have to Enough. remind yourself almost. This isn't MIT, dude. We're not. It's literally not rocket science. We're not we're not sending rockets off into space where it's it's a machine and it's just numbers. These are people, and from minute to minute, from play to play, game to game, it's not just numbers, okay. But on top of that, you have a guy who's only in his second year. He's never been a head. You hired him. You hired Doug Peterson with no head coaching experience. Now, nobody has head coaching experience until you're head coach. So I, I don't have a problem with you hiring with a head coach. I'm just saying you hired a guy with no experience. And then at the end of his first year, you're already kind of going behind his back, which is douchey in the first place, to right. his defensive coordinator and saying, hey, man, just be ready. We might we might be popping him out and sticking you in his place. Like, what the hell? And which, yeah. th which then just makes me say, how? You, you mentioned it before about, like, the bounce of the ball. You need some luck. How lucky were they that you have a potential MVP quarterback 
go down and a backup comes in and does what Nick Foles did to go and win that Super Bowl. Like a lot fell into place and a lot got lucky because you see there's some kind of assholes running that running that organization. And and, and I guess what they're, and and they're not the last organization to be that way either. No, that's, that's the problem. And what's in, what's this is how I bring this all around. Who did they end up hiring this year? Nick Sirianni. Now I don't know. Maybe Nick Sirianni ends up being a good coach, but you never even heard of Nick Sirianni. The word no. is getting out that you don't want to coach for this team. You don't want to work for these guys. This is a team who won the Super Bowl two years ago. Or three years ago, I guess it is. Yeah, it's, you it's don't want to work for these guys. And it's like, wow. Wow. It's insane how the mighty have fallen, right? <laughs> like, like two years ago, you had, I think it was Lane Johnson who was saying, I'd rather have fun playing with the Eagles than be miserable playing for the Patriots. Yes. How you yes. Th- how you yep. feel now, Lane? Because you're still on the Eagles and you suck dick. Excuse me, but you suck dick. And, and you're bailing. You're bailing after yeah, seven games. You're gonna, if you're hurt or not, I'm not gonna, saying you're faking injuries, but you're not hurrying back. You're gonna. You're late in your career, and you're gonna end your career on a shit team. Because, yeah. but you're having fun. But you're having fun, Lane, aren't you? Oh, oh, oh! You only won five games last year. You're not having fun anymore, dummy. Exactly. Exactly. Dummy. How how do you look now? Take a sip. Take a sip. You're right. Good call. Excuse me. Excuse me. That's good stuff. Wild Turkey 101. Makes things, makes things always better. I feel better already. No, I feel better already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. And it, and it hits close to home for you, for sure, I bet. You know, like stuff like that with Peterson and people talking behind your back as a coach and you know, I, I've dealt with that kind of stuff, the the backstabbing in my first head coaching job. And, you know, this is different. It's not a GM. It's an athletic director. And I went to the athletic director and I was like, listen, don't don't go talking to other go by players or to my coaches about what I'm doing wrong. You got a problem with what I'm doing. You come talk to me and I'll explain it to yeah. you. I said, but you give me, you let me do my job. And if I do a shit job, then you fire me and I'll walk out of here and won't say a goddamn word. Okay, but you let me do my job. You do your job. I'll do mine. And if I don't do good, you can kick me out of here and I'll go find work somewhere else. But don't undermine me. That was the exact word I used to the athletic director at the time. Don't undermine me. You hired me to do a job. Let me do it. And if I can't, then I'll walk. But if but I can't do it, if you're if you're cut, if you're undercutting me every step of the way. And I'll never forget what that is. I'm not going to use any names, but I'll never forget what he said. I walked out of the office after just like tearing into him about it. And he said, hey. And I said, I turned around. I said, yeah. And he goes, I, no, I was walking out and I said, thanks for listening to me. That was, it was a backhanded thanks. Cause I was, it were, I really meant to say, fuck you. Okay. But yeah. I didn't want to say that to my boss. Right. So it's like, <laughs> thanks. You know, I threw my hand up. Thanks for listening to me. And I'm walking out and he goes, Hey, and I go, and I turn around and he goes, thanks for having some balls. And he never, he never undermined me again. He never did anything like that again. Yeah. But listen, you can't do that shit, man. That, but it sucks that you had to get to that point. No, no, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. To, but you couldn't be shut up to, to begin with. Like, you can't do that shit to your coaches because if you want to do that to your coaches, then you go coach. You go be Greg Popovich, right. and you go from being the GM to being on the bench. So then you can take arrows. But you can't hire a guy and then undermine him or constantly be looking to replace him like they were doing in Philly. Yeah. You know, part of that story was like I think after. 
Um, the year after they won the Super Bowl, they barely made the playoffs, and Peterson was forced, forced to fire two assistant coaches, his offensive coordinator and somebody else. I don't remember who it was. He didn't want to, but he was forced to, and he did. Yeah. And it's like you, you can't do that, man. You can't no, do no. that. You hire a guy to do a job. Let him do the damn job. And, and shut up and stay away. Let him do the job. And then if he doesn't do the job, then you fire him. But you don't jerk him around. You don't play games and you don't undermine him and you don't go behind his back to other coaches before the goddamn season even starts. Now, yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you about that story with Schwartz. This wasn't like in March when they were considering whether or, or, or in like January when they were considering whether or not to rehire him for the following year. This is like right August before the season. This is like in August. It was like, we're just letting you know. Just want you to be prepared. Get your ducks in order because I don't know if he's going to make it through halfway through the season. Oh, dude, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. And word gets out and nobody wants to come work for you. And then you're stuck with Nick Sirianni. Now, I'm rooting for Nick Sirianni because I root for the coaches. I hope I hope he turns the Eagles great and then he gets the F out of there and finds a better job somewhere else. I'm rooting for Nick Sirianni. I'm not rooting against him. Okay? Um, but this is what you get. You get a, a no-name. You get... You get uh, Cully, you know, I don't know what his first name is. For yeah, Houston. David Cully. David I, Cully. I, yeah. You're Houston. You you run your ship like, you know, do it the way you know to do it. Like a shithole. You run like you, you run like, your you run your organization organization like a shithole, and you get stuck with David Cully. I hope David Cully does a great job. I'm just saying well, I'm he wouldn't I'm be he wasn't people. your first or f- first pick or your first six picks. Or, or yeah, or ten. No, but listen. I'm looking at it from the other way. If you're a coach, you run it like you said. You run it the way I want to run it. Let me run it that way. If I suck, get rid of me. That's well, it. Let me do it my way. That's all That's any it. of us ever wanted. So every any of us ever wanted. Give me the job. Give me what I need. What I need. Get the hell out of the way. And if I can't do it, you get rid of me. And I'll go peacefully. Yeah. I will go peacefully. Yeah. I won't say a word. I won't talk shit about the organization. Nothing. Nothing. But let me do my job. I think that's what any employee right. wants. You know, back in the day, Parcells absolutely. absolutely Parcells saying, "Hey, if you want me to cook, you want me to cook the meals. You got to let me shop for the food." What is he saying? What is he really saying? Let me do my job. Let me do my job. Okay, I have a vision for this team, which is a vision for this organization. Let me do my job. And By the way, that's such a great quote. It's 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 historic. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And it's a, it's a quote that every coach leans on because it's true. All it's really saying is, "Let me do my job." Give me what I need. Yeah. You hired me to do a job. Give me what I need to do my job. I have a vision and and and, and a um, and a direction for this team and this organization. Let me do it. And if let you don't do like it, it if it there comes life. a point where you don't like it, then we'll go our separate ways and everything's fine. But let me do my job. Mm-hmm. Just let me do my job. Sorry. No, I was a, that was a good, that was a good piece. It's I just, didn't think I didn't know where we we're gonna go. That's a, that no, it's was a, a good horrible piece, story. It's a horrible, it's a, it's a horrible story. And, and you and, and you know what I heard? Be, it's not gonna be the last one either. That's the problem. I heard this from Brian Billick yesterday. Oh, that tool bag. It, I think he's brilliant. I'm sorry. I just think he's brilliant. No, go go buy my beer. He's a he's he comes across a bit arrogant, but he's yeah, he's yeah. very bright. But what he said was because I think he was on. Excuse me. He was on coward. And Coward brought oh, the story up, and he and he said, "Colin, this happens all the time. These are billionaire owners. They're used to getting their way. Uh, you're not going to find too many billionaires that are kind of passive, let things come as they come kind of guys. They paid a lot of money for these teams. They want what they want. 
You know, I think the guy's name is Tepper for North Carolina, uh, Carolina Panthers. I think that's the owner. He's the richest, yeah, he's the yeah, richest yeah. owner in the league. What did he say? Get me a goddamn quarterback. I want to start winning games. I don't want to. I don't want to be mediocre anymore, dude. You've owned the team for like five friggin' minutes. But this is their yeah. nature. This is how they got to be to where they are. So what Billick was saying was just like this is not that unusual. These guys don't just sit back and let you run your team. There's very few guys like that. You know, the Giants are kind of like that. The Steelers are kind of like that. The Chiefs are kind of have a history of that. Denver the Packers. The Packers definitely because they don't have a real owner. They were owned by right. the community. Yeah. But you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting yeah, it's getting rare after that. Chicago it's a, little a little. Buffalo maybe. You know, there's only a handful of teams that just say, hey, this is a toy for us. You guys do your job. And if we don't like it, you know, most of these guys, it matters to them yeah, wanna, and they want to hand yep. it. Look at Jerry yep. Jones, man. Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. He's the goddamn general manager. He's he's 78 years old, has no NFL experience. He's the goddamn general manager and the owner. <laughs> and you don't understand why they've only won one playoff game in like 20 years. Like, When's the last time they were successful? When Jimmy Johnson ran football operations. You know, so yep. while I'd what, love th- to sit 30 here. years ago. Yeah. While I'd love to sit here and tell you that this story with the Eagles is, is unusual, it sounds like it's not that unusual. It's just, it's, it's not as unusual as you might think. So, anyway, I think we've come to the end, end, of, our, uh, end of our day. You know, it's funny. I have to tell you something. I guess I'm telling the listeners this. We're recording this on Thursday, and on Tuesday, I start compiling, like, things I want to talk about. Really late Monday, but most of it on Tuesday, like, what's been going on. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm writing things on Tuesday. I'm like, man, it's just really not, you know, we got the Masters and not a lot else. By by this morning, I was like, shit, I can't, we can't fit it all into one show. Like, I, it's, like, things that I wanted <laughs> to talk about, I can't even, I can't even fit in here. So, anyway, we covered... We covered a lot. So, what's on your radar going forward, buddy? So I got two things. Oh, I got two uh, also. Two weeks. That's why we're the best. Oh no, two I got one. Out. I got one. I'm sorry. I got one. I got one. I, t- I changed oh, my mind. What a tease. I had two and I cut I'm it out. I, I cut one out. I'm, it's too much. Too much bourbon. I cut one out. Go ahead. I cut so, it so I still have two. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks exactly from tonight is the NFL draft, which is like Christmas for our yes. fans. And as a Jets fan, it's the best time of the year. The season sucks. The draft is the best. (laughs) I got a feeling I'm going to have to go through one more year of that too, by the way. I think by next next October, I'm going to be like, when's the draft? One more time. I'll take it one more time. I'll take it one more time. But go ahead. I'm Uh, sorry. I got the under on that one. You're Um, probably right. You're probably right. I've known you way too long at this point. I know. I'm being hopeful. I love my new. Um, I love my new organization. So two more weeks. So we have one more week of draft talk, and then probably and then our other show, and then we'll, so I guess two more weeks of draft talk. Yeah, which is great. And then one I want to hit on. I want to. I want to talk to you about this next week because I'm really interested in, to see what you think about it as a college fan. The NCAA just okayed the one-time transfer rule today. What does that mean? I, I don't know if you know anything about this or not. So you can. You have the right to transfer one year without sitting out. But this is different from the so transfer can, portal? So, yes. So the transfer portal was still kind of like if you're not a fifth year or graduate, you have to sit out a year. So now you have, you could you could go right from oh, Michigan to oh, without sitting out. Play. That's one time. But now if you transfer after that, you have to sit out again. So there's a lot to it. 
look at kind of like Justin Fields did. What? Kind of like Justin Fields did. Yeah. By the way, I had I had someone write us. I did have someone write us on uh, a direct message. uh, Well, it was a comment actually. It was a comment on Instagram. Uh, who said that the reason he left Penn State was because a baseball player made a racial slur to him? I don't know the validity of this. I did not check it. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I'm throwing. I'm, I'm let me put it this way. I'm, I'm throwing this out there yeah. to our listeners. Maybe you can confirm or deny this. That when so Justin Fields, Scotty was the one who told me Justin Fields originally signed or was gonna sign or did sign with Penn State. Verbally committed. Verbally, verbally committed, committed to Penn State. Yeah. And and what the, and then went to Georgia and then went from Georgia to Ohio State. So that what you transfer one time, it's like eh, whatever. You transfer twice, it's like mm, okay. Now 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 I'm curious. And what this dude said was he, he, there were some racial slurs thrown his way, and that was why he transferred. I cannot confirm nor deny that. Maybe some of our listeners can give us some info on that. Either way, so as we speak. NCAA officially approved transfer rules. So you want to talk about timing? Go, That's dude. incredible. You just got it. You just got it. So, so next week we'll dive into that a little bit. So. Love it. It's interesting. I like that one. What was your second one? That was my second one. What was the first one? The two more weeks for the NFL draft. All right. Those are good too. Dude, how much bourbon have you had? Apparently more than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy pour. I don't think there's a bottom to that cup. <laughs> I know. There's still... Still some in here. Okay, so here's what's on my radar, and this is kind of fun. All right, and what I mean by on my radar is I'm interested to see what you think about it and how it looks. Apparently, Kevin James, comedian Kevin James, oh, is going to play yeah. Sean Payton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints, in some Netflix, I don't know if it's a biopic or a movie, whatever, whatever, but Kevin James will play uh, Sean Payton in this in a, in a Netflix movie about the head coach. What do you think about the choice? It's I'm on my radar because I'm probably going to watch it regardless. And I do like I love Kevin James in movies. Kevin James stand up to me is meh. It's kind of average, but it, in movies and shows, I like Kevin James. So I'm I'm interested, and so that's why it's on my radar because I'm going to watch. But I'm just asking you, like, what do you like? Is this the best not, casting they could have done? I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of Kevin James. I don't hate him. I watch stuff that he's in, but. Yeah, like, is that the best they could have gone? Like, is like Sean Payton's not a big fat guy. No, he's not in shape, but he's not Kevin James. Yeah, I wouldn't call him svelte, but I also wouldn't call no. him overweight. Yeah, I wouldn't call him an interior lineman either. At the same time, it's got to be somebody so, else that could have been like Robert yeah, Downey yeah, Jr. Like, could have been. You know, yeah, that's not a bad one. That would have been a good one, right? Kevin Costner, Iron Man as Sean Payton. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner, a little too tall, but yeah, absolutely. Kevin Costner yeah, would have been so, perfect. So I don't know. I thought there were maybe other options, but yeah, I mean, I'll wa- probably watch it too, but yeah, definitely interesting. Netflix casting on their movies is not always the best. Frankly, Netflix movies are not always the best. They're often a little the bit Netflix of a letdown. Netflix shows down. are very good, but yeah. The shows the, are good. The movies yeah, are, yeah. I'm left wanting sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the one more, that more I think, bourbon. the one that was with, um, Oh, what's the dude's name? The dude who plays Deadpool. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. He did a, an action movie. I think it was called like The Six or something like that. It was like, you know, he's a billionaire that kind of goes off the grid. And they go about like getting rid of bad dictators and all this kind of shit, whatever. Like it was a, oh, God. It was a great action movie. 
I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I remember thinking at the time, this is the best Netflix movie I've ever seen. And it wasn't that good. Like Netflix, And I will never watch it again. Yeah, Netflix <laughs> Netflix has a way of like making relatively decent movies. And then it's like they have something in the contract that says, we're going to end these movies like absolute trash because we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to make it look like we ran out of money. Like every <laughs> Netflix movie ends as if they ran out of money and they just like – they just went to black and are like cut, and that's the end of the movie. And you're like, wait, and they had to get off, and they had to get off the land right now. Yeah, it's like contracts up. Like an hour ago, we gotta go. We're Let's paying go. by we're paying by the minute now, guys. Get out of here. Go, 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 go. <laughs> it's like Jesus. So anyway, that's what's on my radar. I just I saw it today, and I'm like, man, Kevin James. As uh, well, maybe he's gonna lose some weight, man. Go keto, do a little keto. Yeah, maybe. Kevin maybe. James, go keto, and you know, I could see him with the headset and. You know, a little little physical with, with, humor. With the marker and the laminated sheet. Yeah, let's see. And he loves sports. <laughs> Kevin James is a big sports guy. So, By the way, this is just a little fun Snapple fact for you. Kevin James is like legitimate MMA. Uh, I don't want to call him athlete. But he's like legit. So he did a movie, uh, Here Comes the Boom, where it's like all yeah. about him as a teacher trying to make money for his school and he does MMA. Apparently, he really does like – Full, training. full training MMA, like he's he's kind he's kind of legit, and he's a big dude, man. I don't think I'd want to get caught in like some jujitsu shit with Kevin James, big no. dude. So, Listen, although age for age, I think any... I could go at it with him. I think I can handle him. I don't want to get caught between any dude's thighs, but that guy is uh, something I want to stay away from. <laughs> make a hell of a point. You make two two good points. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good place to wrap it up. I, I think. think that's a wrap. <laughs> I, uh, for Scott Bracey, I'm Pete Calisano, and this has been Bump and Run, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Later. I feel like-